the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Character, and a happy Friday morning to Michelle Smallman. And a happy Friday morning to Randy Character. Hey, I'm, I'm ready for the weekend. I have no plans. It's going to be fun. What a long week this has been. Not for me. I don't know. Because I miss no. Monday. It feels like Thursday That's for me. That's true. But I forgot you were even out on Monday. That's how long this week has been. It has been long for you then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, you got that Monday off, so it's flown by for you. Yeah, the Mizzou is off this weekend. I don't know if the Illini play. Sorry. Does I it, think I guess matter, they do. Randy? Well, for you it does. Does it? But the uh, Pac-12 is back tomorrow, and I think we might even have a Pac-12 game here on 101 ESPN. Maybe not. We've got SEC Florida, Georgia tomorrow. We've got Texas A&M and South Carolina. So no no late night Pac-12. And You've got we, Illinois, Minnesota, by the okay. way, 2.30 tomorrow. Good. Beat those gophers. Is that, right. is, is that a rivalry game? No. Okay. <laughs> it's just a game. It's just a game. Who is Illinois' rival? They don't have a true rival. They've they've tried to make Northwestern happen. Uh We've tried to make Mizzou happen. But it's just not as passionate or pure of a rivalry. Mm -hmm. The Northwestern thing nobody really cares about. It's one of the shames of uh, of the few shames about Mizzou leaving the Big 12 was that the Mizzou-Kansas thing was pure hatred. For sure. That was one of the great rivalries in college athletics. Yeah. So, Mizzou off this week, and then next week they get Georgia. Meanwhile, after our show yesterday, and after Danny Mac, scoops with Danny Mac, much of the day was spent talking about the possibility, the completely unrealistic possibility, of the Cardinals trading for Francisco Lindor. And I don't mind talking about things that are completely unrealistic. I talked yesterday about the idea of the Cardinals getting Justin Turner and Jock Peterson both. That ain't going to happen either. But (laughs) I think one of the things we need to do, Michelle, is with a balanced view, talk about what the Cardinals need to do long term to get better. Because we, I believe, are pretty safe in assuming they are not going to spend 30 or $35 million a year on a free agent. They are not going to trade for Francisco Francisco Lindor. It's fun to say Francisco. Francisco. <laughs> They're not going to trade for Francisco Lindor and then give him a contract for 30 or $35 million a year. That's just not the way the Cardinals roll. Different deal with Paul Goldschmidt when you figure you can get him for $23 million a year. And the Cardinals have given up a lot of prospects to get Ozuna and Goldschmidt. That's another reason they won't trade for Lindor. But one of the things the Cardinals need to do better is scout and sign international free agents. Last night, Michelle, the Silver Slugger Awards were handed out. These are the best hitters at each position in baseball. 
of the 18 Silver Slugger awards handed out, how many do you think were international signings by various teams? 18 hitters in baseball, the best at their positions. I would say well over half, right? Correct. 11 of 18 Silver Sluggers were international free agents. Some of them, Donovan Solano as an example, former Cardinal farmhand that they just let walk as a minor league free agent back in 2011. Marcel Ozuna, they had a chance, a real clear and obvious chance to get Fernando Tatis Jr. And the Cardinals don't have any silver sluggers and don't have anybody on their roster where you say, okay, that's a guy that the Cardinals signed and developed and turned into a star. They traded Randy Rosarena, international free agent signing. They traded Adolis Garcia, they they had high hopes for. At one point, international free agent signing. The guys they have... Jonathan Machado and Victor Garcia, their current international signings that are outfielders, they aren't even in their top 30 prospects. So we talk a lot about evaluation on this show. I believe what the Cardinals need to do is identify and develop more international quality international free agents. When we do talk about the evaluation, there just seems to be some sort of disconnect in the flow chart. And hopefully, as the Cardinals continue to self-evaluate and look internally and make sure things like Randy Rosarena never happen again, they are taking a look at every facet of their evaluation, including that of the international prospects. Because as you mentioned, if you have some of these players that are in your organization at some point. It's not that you're not identifying who is great. You, you worked out Fernando Tatis Jr. what, 18 times? Clearly you were interested in him. It's who is making the decisions of who to retain and who to let go. Because that seems to be their problem, whether it's Randy Rosarena or Fernando Tatis Jr. or Marcelo Ozuna or Solano. The list goes on and on. They can identify players that would benefit them. They oftentimes bring them into the organization but then they give up on them too soon. And to be fair, Solano has bounced around Major League Baseball for the last eight years before he got to the Giants, seven years, and really has come into his own in the last two years. But the talent was there, and that's my point. Heck, I look at the Cubs, and the Cubs could be frustrated, but they did win the World Series in 2016. Mm -hmm. But they had Glaber Torres, who was the number one prospect in baseball, and they traded him to the Yankees. They had Eloy Jimenez, who they traded to the White Sox in the Jose Quintana trade. The Cubs have had multiple guys that they have turned into really good players. Uh, Jorge Soler led Major League Baseball in home runs a couple of years ago. They traded him to the Royals for Wade Davis. So they've developed guys. The Washington Nationals have Juan Soto, who might have been the best hitter in the National League this year. And they had a scout that saw him. He said, you know what? I, I really like this guy. He basically kidnapped the kid, took him into a batting cage in South Florida, and he's got the kid hitting and says, I got to sign this guy. Made an offer to the kid on the spot and signed him and then walked out. Do we have that? Do we We don't have the, do we have the, the uh, scout that signed Juan Soto? Let's see if we can. I, I don't think we do, but it, it's a great story about how he took Juan Soto into this batting cage, signed him, and then as he's walking out, two scouts from other teams are waiting because they're hearing the ball hit the bat. And he says, sorry, guys, I just signed him. And what do you know what they did? Are they like, are you kidding me? They were just kind of like despondent. And one of them actually works for the Nationals now, (laughs) has has come to work for the Nationals. But that's when you know you're really good at your job, that you identify a talent like that. And you say, I'm going to corner you in this batting cage until you sign with us. And I don't know if the Cardinals have that guy, but I do know that whoever that guy is, 
Maybe he's signing to Rosarena. I don't know. But he's not signing a lot of those guys because they aren't working out for the Cardinals. As we mentioned, the Cardinals have none of their top 30 prospects that are international free agent outfielder signings. None of them. Zero. Zero. So, not great. They do have some guys, by the way, we should mention catcher Yvonne Herrera is their number Mm -hmm. four prospect. And third baseman El Harris Montero was signed by the Cardinals as an international free agent. And Jahan Torres was traded for another, the new superfluous H, uh, but he was an international signing. And he's not going to be confused with Randy Rosarena in terms of being a power hitter. Not many people are at this point. I'm so fascinated to see what Randy Rosarena is going to be next season and if he's able to maintain even a partial amount of the production that he's had. But this seems to be something that the Cardinals could do in their financial comfort zone as well. It's not signing a guy for $30 plus million a year. It's identifying someone, doing it at cost, and then developing them within the Cardinal system. And the Cardinals have done a great job of drafting pitchers over the years. Yes. And they have taken more high-ceiling hitters in the last few years with a guy like Jordan Walker this year, Nolan Gorman. They've taken a few guys, but those are the American guys. And I'll go back to that statistic, which I think is striking and telling that of the 18 Silver Slugger Award winners in baseball in 2020, 11 of them came from Latin America and were international free agent signings. So that's where you dip your foot in. You go. You don't dip your foot in the water. You dive in. The Cardinals have a Dominican Academy, and the Cardinals obviously have spent money and resources in Cuba. So now it's just a matter of being sure that you identify guys and maybe signing more guys. They could have had uh, Luis Robert, but the the thing with the White Sox and Robert was that the Cardinals had exceeded their international pool spending for 2016 when he was signed in 2017. This is not to defend the Cardinals. This is just to tell you the story of why he's a member of the White Sox. The White Sox signed him for $26 million. Mm -hmm. If the Cardinals would have signed him for $26 million because they had exceeded the international signing limit, they would have had to pay a dollar-for-dollar tax. So for every dollar the White Sox spent on Luis Robert, the Cardinals would have had to spend two. The White Sox get him for $26 million. The Cardinals get him for 52 Oh, yeah. The White Sox up the ante to $30 million. The Cardinals are at 60 And that's why the Cardinals ultimately got outbid, because they were trying to be fiscally responsible because they were working at 50% of the efficiency at that point of the White Sox. And that's because they had signed guys like Garcia and Rosarena and... Machado in previous to the previous two years, which is understandable, but some of these other guys on the list, definitely not. No, absolutely. (laughs) And that's ultimately what it comes down to for the Cardinals. So we're talking about getting better for the future because I think you and I both agree. The reality of the situation is the Cardinals are never going to go big into free agency. I would be surprised in my lifetime if the Cardinals ever sign a player to a $300 million contract. And I'd actually be surprised if the Cardinals would ever sign a free agent to a contract that is beyond $30 million a year. I'd actually prefer that they don't because the majority of those contracts end up being an issue Mm -hmm. at some point and end up hamstringing a team and being more of a detriment. You have a very finite window on a contract like that to win. And 
I think Albert Pujols is a perfect case study for the Cardinals and, and how that would have worked out for them long term. But with the financial constraints that the pandemic is putting on clubs, they're going to have to be very intentional about how they're allocating their resources. And this seems like a good place to start if you're the Cardinals. And I, I want to just piggyback on what you said about bad contracts. And we love the guy. But I get the sense that the Paul Goldschmidt contract at the back end is not going to be what Cardinal fans expect it to be. He's not going to be that guy that hits 320 with 30 home runs and 120 RBIs. I'll bet you he's never going to be that guy for the Cardinals. Peak Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. And by the way, we did see it in 2019. He regressed a little bit, but he's getting older. He's going to be 33 next year. And that's just the way it happens with hitters. Maybe he'll be a guy that hits 285 and still has a reasonably high OPS, 880 or something like that, hits his home runs. But I I just don't see him being that complete hitter that he was in his 20s in Arizona. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got our peak and pit of the week. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for our peak and our pit of the week. Michelle, this is always fun, and we want people to text in 65780. That's their Air Comfort Service text line because we want people to tell us what your highlight of the week was and what your low light of the week was. Scott Manziara is going to participate. What do you got? I don't know how you can choose anything as your peak this week other than the weather we've had here in St. Louis. Yeah, good. It has been gorgeous every single day. It's warm, a nice breeze. The trees have completely changed into these radiant fall colors. The sun has been shining. And for a week that had a lot of anxiety and stress for a lot of people, it's been nice to get outside and sit with Mother Nature and get some vitamin D therapy. (laughs) It's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's been good. Along those lines, that leads to my pit of the week. Oh, no. And that is that since uh, the summertime, I've been trying to get together with Jay Delsing to play golf, our okay. buddy, who's yeah. going to join us next week, we hope, for, to talk about the Masters. Uh, Jay had knee replacement surgery. I know it's more of a pit for him than it is for me. Big time. But the fact that we aren't going to be able to get out and play golf and enjoy this great fall weather in St. Louis is disappointing. It's kind of a pit. Ah, oh, what a pit to have knee surgery. It's a uh, knee replacement. Knee replacement. But he'll be back in, in six weeks. He'll be fine. <sighs> but it's just kind of a hassle. <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, but I do have a great peak. What is it? Congratulations to Atanga Vailoa getting his first NFL win and his first NFL start. Yes, Tua. I'm a big fan of Tua, and obviously we're fans of the Dolphins. And who did he get that win against? Uh, the Patriots? No. Was it the Rams? Yeah, there you oh, go. Oh, okay, okay. I was just going through the list of teams that you hate, Randy, <laughs> that you would take joy in them losing. Yeah, it's my peak it's of the a, week. It's a pretty short list. Yeah, it is. So go Tua. Go Tua. And I, want, yeah, I think so it's happy a great story. And peak that the that the Dolphins defense exposed Jared Goff and made him yeah. look terrible. That'll happen again before the season is out too. Oh, no doubt. Um, well, my pit, Randy. In addition to the weather being great as a peak, I had quite a low pit. Quite a low pit. So our friends at Clementine's Creamery. If you've never had Clementine's, 
stop what you're doing and go there. I don't know if they're open right now, but sit outside until they're open. <laughs> That's how good their ice cream is. Um, they have amazing flavors. They have gooey butter cake ice cream. Yum. How can you beat that? They have alcohol-infused ice cream, boozy ice cream. Where's Clementine's? They have a couple locations, but the one I prefer is on Demun because okay. it's, it's exactly where that is. Close to the studio, close-ish to the studio. And Clementine's was so generous. They have a new fall flavors. They sent me a package saying, hey, Michelle, we, we want you to try our new fall flavors. We know you're a big fan of Clementine's. Reminder to everyone, I'm doing 75 hard, and I can't eat things mm. like Clementine's ice cream. So I was so pumped when I got the package and then immediately filled with sadness because I can't eat it for another 30 days and change. Question for the audience. Can you be too mentally tough? Can you be so <laughs> mentally tough that it acts as a detriment to you? I would say yes. I would say that if you are so mentally tough that you won't even eat Clementine's ice cream, that that is a negative. Thank you. How? Explain yourself. Well, because obviously Clementine's ice cream and enjoying a great ice cream is better than dealing with 75 hard every day. So eating a pint of Clementine's ice cream, to me, would exceed the agony of 75 hard. What am I going to get more out of? The, the Clementine's ice cream or continuing on with the 75 hard charade? I've already proven to my <laughs> mental toughness. I love that you call it a charade. <laughs> it's not for you, but it was for me. So, yes, I would get tremendous joy from eating the Clementines. It w I would be so happy. It would be ridiculous, especially after 36 days of not having anything yeah. even remotely as delicious as Clementines ice cream. However, to that end, I've made it 35 days at that point. 35 days. It's not three days. It's not even 10 days. You're about the halfway point there. Am I really going to give up on something that I've started? I can't do it to myself. I appreciate your mental toughness, but I think it's getting the best of you. That's I all I'm saying. I respect me too much to do that to okay, me. Good play. <laughs> but it's sitting in my freezer, Randy, and I hear that siren song coming from the freezer mm. all night. I'm thinking to myself, what if I just went in and smelled it? <laughs> what if I just opened yeah. it and took the tiniest taste? Then I'm like, nope, nope. it's cheating. Can't do it. it. Can't do it. It's cheating. From, from the 314. Michelle, what's the first thing you'll have on day 76? I want a bagel for breakfast with coffee, and I want pasta and red wine for dinner. There we go. So Penny vodka. <laughs> Penny so vodka sauce. Amazing. We know what is going to happen. And multiple texts from the 314. Keep it up, Michelle. Don't give in from the 314. Hang in there, Michelle. You're doing great. So proud of you. And so people are on your side to keep the mental toughness thing going. And we're, we're supporting you here too, Michelle. Yep. We're encouraging it. We're all we're, we're hashtag Team Michelle. It might not be hashtag <laughs> Team Character and Smallman anymore, but yeah. Michelle's doing it. Yeah, thank you guys. And Mother Nature did throw me a major bone with this Big weather time. because yeah. if it had been cold this entire month, imagine if it was thirty something degrees and I didn't want to do an outside workout, and then I get a delivery of Clementine's ice cream. I would have been long gone. We do want your peaks and pits of the week at six five seven eight zero. Scotty, what were yours? All right, so my peak of the week. Speaking of Michelle talking about pasta and red wine, was my. Peak Peak last night was going to the Cheesecake Factory, 
celebrating with my girlfriend. Uh, we're getting a house. I don't know if you guys have heard. Um, I don't talk about it all the time or anything. Uh, but that would be part of my peak. And then, of course, it's hot stove season. That's my favorite time of the year for sports. I love talking about all the different deals that could go down for different teams, especially the Cardinals, even though we're kind of under the impression that they probably won't do anything. It's still not going to kill my excitement for hot stove season. Uh, my pit is definitely uh, last Saturday and Halloween. Well, there was a lot of pits that night, but the big pit was LSU is now officially under 500. Again. Ouch. And it's we're five games into the season. So full panic mode. Um, clean house basically is where, I, where I'm at. And I think the state of Louisiana. Wow. Clean house. At, what? Three, four games after winning the national championship. Yeah. Not five, even, yeah five games. Not even a full yeah. calendar year. That's it's a little overreaction. It's time for change. Get Bo Pelini out of here. Been calling for it since week one. Brandon Kylie of Ribs and BK told me I was crazy. Scott, come on. It's week one. They let up 600 and something yards to Mississippi State. And now uh, they let up 40-something to Auburn and 40 and four of the five games. It's just not great over there. Bring back Dave Aranda. Bring him back. Call him from Baylor. Yeah, that's the play. All right, 65780, do you have any peaks or pits here on 101 ESPN? By, by the way, one other one from the 314 for you, Michelle. Yes. This sounds like a diet that overlaps with Thanksgiving. Planning, girl. Planning. It does overlap with Thanksgiving. And that's G-U-U-R-L. Oh, a W? Yeah. Classic girl. Yeah. Girl. That's like that's almost a an incredulous girl. What are you doing? <laughs> However, think about the time span of 75 days. At any point in a calendar year that you're going to try to execute it, it's going to overlap with a great eating holiday. And at least now, I don't yeah. miss Christmas. And I've got really nothing else going on. We're in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, that's a good call. It's not like I'm doing a lot other than watching sports. Right. And okay. working out twice a day. <laughs> great. And and if I did it when there's less going on around February, March, the weather's worse. Okay. Yeah. The, the, you know? And, and we just thought of it on October 1st. Yeah, we really just <laughs> thought about it, too. It was something that I had just casually floated to everyone. Yep. All right, what do you got, Scotty? We need your text to the Air Comfort Service text line. What was your peak of the week? What was your pit? What was the highlight? What was the low light? 65780 if you want to join the conversation. From the 618, my peak of the week was on vacation from work. That's great. His pit, he got a vasectomy during it. Not great. Uh, long run, though, you'll you'll prefer that. <laughs> it's the long play there? Yeah, it is. So it seems like you had to take a vacation for that. Yeah, it's a couple days. You know, the NCAA tournament first and second days is the most popular time for men to get vasectomies. Yeah, because you just have to sit on the couch. Yeah, sit on a a bag of ice or something. Yeah, but no, that's... uh, That's good. Now, that's good planning, girl. That's good planning. Here's here's the thing about the vasectomy is that, number one, when the doctor told me about it... Have I ever told you this story? No. So I I go into the doctor just Do I want to know it? Well, it's kind of weird. So... The doctor tells you about the procedure that's going to happen. This is just the consultation. So the doctor tells me, and as he's telling me, I feel my face get flushed. And I start to sweat and worry. And we go through everything, and it's like a half hour, and I leave the office, and we set the date that I'm going to come in and everything. I literally had to go to the woman at the front desk and say, can I use your restroom? And she said, yeah, it's right there. I had to go in and throw up. Just from the consultation? Just from the consultation. Yeah. It freaked me out. Whoa. 
But then on the day that I retired, uh, it was not a problem at all. I just went in and it happened. I came home, sat on the ice, and it, it was fine. They gave you the good drugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Calm you down. Yeah, I you needed, threw up. I'm surprised I, I if, literally threw up at the doctor's office, yeah. I'm it, surprised if you were the, had that much of a visceral reaction that you had to throw. You didn't even throw up when you got home. You threw up at the um, doctor's office. In that bathroom. That you went yeah. through with it. I'm surprised. Well, it's... I was mentally tough when I went in afterwards. I wasn't mentally tough in preparation for, but then the day that I went in, it was no problem at all because I, I had prepared myself mentally. But you can't prepare yourself for a consultation when they tell you what they're going to do. <laughs> still hurts. <laughs> oh, my God. Just to hear the story. And it's happened to millions of guys. I'm sure that there are other people out there that have had a similar reaction. 65780, if you have had another reaction to that, please. <laughs> if you, too, have thrown up after hearing what a vasectomy entails, 65780. 65780, this one comes from the 636. My peak of the week is moving to California for a work assignment for three months. Is Pitt, it's California. I thought, I think the peak would be it's California. Yeah, I would think so. Now, it's kind of expensive. Very expensive. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there were a group of Rams employees when they went out there, and the Rams gave them like a 14% cost of living increase. But I, I think there were like five Rams employees living in one apartment at one time. Wow. Yeah, when they went to L.A. I, don't, I would imagine that that's still not the case because they've gotten rid of most of the St. Louis people. But yeah, it is expensive, but the weather's great. The weather is great. Yeah, and traffic it, is bad. Expensive. Yeah. Sometimes in Northern California, it gets really cold, but they've got these fires to keep you warm. Oh, Randy. <laughs> Randy. That's true. <laughs> they do have fires there. All right. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. Oh, here we got a couple here. Uh, Pit of the week, Kanye didn't win the election. Mm. Uh, people, I thought, were well aware of this. So you've got the Republican Party. You've got the Democratic Party. You're aware that Kanye's party was the birthday party, right? Yes. So people thought that was a fake thing. And, oh, that's a real thing. And uh, peak of the week, I received dollars back from state and federal taxes. Congratulations to you from the 314. And uh, here's one. Uh, a pit. I work at a school and found out I have to quarantine because it's a probable COVID case. Randy, there are some vasectomy stories coming in. Too. Oh, should, I get, should we get to those? Quickly? Why don't we do them next? Why don't we lead we off will. the 7.30 uh, segment with your vasectomy stories we'll, coming up next? <laughs> Plus a little football talk as well, because we're <laughs> tough here on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> some NFL news and notes for you, but Michelle is getting the giggles over these vasectomy <laughs> texts, 65780. So, uh, I will let you take it away, and I will react to what you say, because you think this is very funny, and the men in the audience don't, but go ahead. A lot of guys are going to be listening to these stories driving, clenching the <laughs> steering wheel. Yeah, not that then, clenching more than that. <laughs> Randy from the 217. After getting my vasectomy, my wife and I leave the doctor's office to head home. She hands me her phone to show me a video, and I find out she videoed my vasectomy. The only thing worse than having it done is reliving it minutes afterwards. It would hurt to see. I can't imagine she would do that. <laughs> are you awake during this? Um, Procedure? I don't believe I was. No, okay. I think, yeah, I don't just curious, just before. curious. No. But yeah, so you're driving home. You're still feeling the pain. Yeah. Big time. And then yeah. you get the vi- you have to watch the video? Yeah. 
Yeah. I No, I, as a matter of fact, I can remember starting to count backwards. So, no, I was out. Okay. Uh, this one's from the 314. I did not get a vasectomy because I watched a video and it made me want to throw up, so I opted out. See, and I did throw up, and I didn't even have to see the video. But I... I can appreciate where you're coming from, but that's how you wind up with seven or eight kids. That's <laughs> true. Uh, from the 618, the day I had my procedure was the first day of new students. The one I had was really hot, and the doctor had to catch her mid-procedure as she passed out. Very memorable. So she was temperature hot, okay? And <laughs> she passed out. Man, that's for a, a new either nurse or doctor student to pass out. On their first day, it doesn't bode for a great future in the industry. Uh, for this one, 314, I was definitely awake during my procedure. I could smell the burning flesh. <laughs> this one from the 636, Ow. I was wide awake during my vasectomy. I taught college football with the doctor doing it, but my head was propped up so I could watch what was going on. <laughs> so maybe I was, and I have repressed that. Because I, I would have had to have been mentally tough. Uh, I'm sure that if I was, that I built up some sort of a resistance and I was thinking about something else. <laughs> um, this was from the 636. I had a vasectomy done and still to this day, it freaks me out when I think about it. I can see how people would be freaked out. Now, you, that's the thing. You just don't think about it anymore. It's rare. It's, it takes a show like this for you to think about it. But <laughs> I, yeah, I can totally see how, especially thinking about going in, it freaks you out. This one from the 618, Randy. After my vasectomy, I came home. My wife and I had some special time. Not a great idea. Oh, that's against the rules. The doctors told you specifically, go sit on a bag of peas. <laughs> You don't do that. You just sit on ice. Ouch. Now, oh. when you're getting frozen vegetables mm-hmm. to apply to the area, are peas the best option? Yeah, they are because they're just dispersion. the most comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're. <laughs> it's kind of like the mattresses that are that they fit to your contour. That's what peas do. Carrots do not, for example. So it's not like peas and carrots. There exactly is a differentiation. Not. No, there. no, you don't just grab a bag of asparagus and sit on it. You got to get something that. Is... Yeah, we're not talking cauliflower here. No, uh-uh. right. <laughs> we have to have contour. That's the the key. So this one from the three one four, Randy. How about this? I was wide awake during my vasectomy and found out mid procedure that the nurse was the wife of a coworker. <laughs> how about that? Oh my gosh! That's incredible. Wait, you're. Married to Richard from accounting? <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay, two more. This one from the 618. The first vasectomy I had wasn't bad. When they told me I had to get a second one, that's when I got sick. Oh, my. What's that, like an Antonio Cromarty deal or what? Yeah, exactly what it is. Right. Yeah, that's the, the second. <laughs> yeah, that first one didn't take. We're going to try that. It's kind of like the Vladimir Tarasenko sh- uh, shoulder, oh, except man. in a different situation, which causes different problems. So, yeah, the second one. Holy cow. I can't imagine. Last one from the 618. I had to bowl in my team's championship a mere three hours after having my vasectomy. Thank God I was still numb at the time, but I woke up the next morning very sore and tender. Uh, I'll bet you were very bruised. Yes, that's not the play to go bowling three hours after you you have this procedure. We have been describing mental toughness in regards to this procedure. Mm -hmm. That's mental toughness. How dedicated are you to your bowling team that you leave the hospital, you throw on your bowling shirt, you button up, you unzip that bowling bag and you go out there Ernie McCracken style to try and bring home the W for your team. Yeah.
It's Bowling like, balls indeed. Yeah. Marshall Falk, like two weeks after a knee surgery, comes back. By the way, speaking of vasectomies. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so he comes back two weeks after a, a knee surgery and runs for 77 yards against the Panthers for a, a long touchdown. So that, that sort of mental toughness does exist. It does. And our listeners have it. Thank you, Michelle. Oh, let's give you an NFL news and notes. Yeah, please. Who's the best wide receiver in the NFL right now? <laughs> Sorry, I, can't. I have to put down the text okay. line. Last night. You tell me, Randy. Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. 10 passes for 173 yards. Had this touchdown. Here's one for Adams downfield. And the catch. Touchdown. Adams has had three games with 150 or more yards receiving in this season. And when he's healthy, he makes a massive difference for the Packers. So he started off the season with 14 catches for 156 against Minnesota. Had another game where he had 13 for 196 against Houston. And then 10 for 173 last night. And he's only played in six of the Packers games. Devontae Adams right now is the best receiver in the league. It would have helped them to get another one. It's not like somebody else like Will Fuller was going to take over as their number one option for Aaron Rodgers. And it's... When people talk about Aaron Rodgers not having any weapons, he might want more, but he's got some. Yeah, and they were able to get Aaron Jones back off of a calf injury last night. They rolled the Niners 34-17. And I don't feel sorry for football teams very often. I do feel sorry for the Niners because they are defenseless. That's a good team. As Nick Wagner told us yesterday, of the 22 that started in the Super Bowl last February, only seven were available last night because of injuries, trades, free agent departures, etc. But that team is just a complete mess right now. Another note from our friend Nick Wagner. All of the players combined that were on injured reserve last night, $80.8 million worth of cap space for Holy. the 49ers on IR. $80.8 million. And they do have to decide not only because of performance, but because of durability, whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy. Yeah. And we talked with Nick about that, but they're going to have to determine. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to have to figure out whether or not they really want Garoppolo to be the guy because every season he seems to wind up with an injury. Those are your NFL news and notes and vasectomy notes on 101 <laughs> ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a game of take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We are saying thanks to St. Louis area education employees with Hubbard Radio's Deserving Deliveries. Today is the first of several days of Deserving Deliveries put together by 101 ESPN, Hubbard Radio St. Louis, and Scott Credit Union. 100 lunches are being delivered today to the teachers and staff at Parkway Central Middle School by Super Smokers Barbecue. Where is our next deserving delivery headed to next Friday? You can nominate your favorite school staff now at 101ESPN.com. And thank you again to all of the area educators and staff working hard during these extraordinary times. We do appreciate what you do for the children in the area, and you deserve a good lunch. So enjoy that today. Enjoy it, and thank you. We do want your text if you'd like to participate in the fight at 830-65780. Just text the word fight with your name. And you can also send us a text to... 
65780 for Take It or Leave It. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. Tioli right now. Michelle, one of the uh, misses, because we were talking vasectomies, of mm-hmm, course, mm-hmm. but we were talking also about the NFL. And Matt Light, former Patriots offensive lineman, said of Bill Belichick that this is just a weird season. He said, this is not the game of football we all know. It's something other than that. Bill Belichick recognized it early on. I firmly believe that. And I think he's building for the time that we can play for a real championship with real players getting after it, fully prepared, getting ready to go. Take it or leave it. If Belichick was playing checkers as opposed to everybody else's chess, his team would be as bad as the Jets right now. Take it. If you were masterminding a way to reboot and be great in a few years, if you were outsmarting everyone, wouldn't Trevor Lawrence be part of that equation? He'd have to be. Or getting a great quarterback, but there are... He's got two wins, and there are seven teams with one win. At some point, they're going to have to start sucking. And to that point, if he was truly playing chess and everyone else was playing checkers, how do you explain away his draft selections over the past few years? Has he been drafting poorly for the past few years on purpose? Are you telling me that he might not be a genius? I'm just saying. I think we have all learned we need to throw a little bit more respect on Tom Brady's name. That's all. Yeah. Respect. Respect. It was a collaboration. One does not have the same success without the other. But in the immediacy of the divorce, I think we're looking at Tom Brady in a different light. And by the way, the Patriots, if we drafted today, would pick seventh. Seventh. Kind of a no man's land. Mm. Okay, Randy. So since Karakur and Spellman is your home for vasectomy talk, Mm -hmm. I have one more thing on vasectomies. As you mentioned... March Madness, that first round of March Madness is the most popular time for men to get this procedure because they just have to sit and chill at home for a while. It's basketball. But take it or leave it. Actually, next Thursday, November 12th, would be the perfect day to get it done early in the morning because then you could watch uninterrupted Masters coverage for the next few days. Nice play. If you have the opportunity to make that late appointment to get it done that would be fantastic because i'm imagining as you said with the peas that there's a lot of buzzer beaters early on in march madness you're fist pumping you're maybe disrupting things you're getting too excited whereas with the masters you can relax settle in look at the beautiful beautiful scenery from augusta i gotta tell you that's a great idea that's a fantastic idea and one of the other surgeries i had and i've really only had three in my life and that was one of them <laughs> then I fell off the ladder had the broken yes. wrist and then I had the heart thing when I had the heart thing I became addicted to Golf Channel really I would lay on the couch and watch Golf Channel all day long it's very soothing it really is it was great I kind of missed that part of it that was <laughs> you know you can you don't need heart surgery Randy to lay around and enjoy the Golf Channel <laughs> I know but I just feel like I have a responsibility to get up and do stuff. I can't. I couldn't lay around and watch Masters coverage for six or seven hours like I did Golf Channel in those days when it hurt to walk. Treat yourself. Just say, hey, I, this is mental health for me. I need to really, it's self-care. Hashtag self-care. I'll make some bonbons. <laughs> I remember being in high school, turning on the, the, going to the website to watch the Masters during class. Oh it's man, there's awesome. nothing like it. Yeah, I did that when I was in grade school. <laughs> did you? Went to the internet and yeah, got, yeah. got my phone out. That's right. Dial up then. So when I was in grade school, they would wheel in these giant tube TVs so we could watch the World Series in October. World Series day games, weekday games, World Series weekday games. And they would wheel in these massive carts with massive TVs so all the kids could watch the weekday World Series games. Best school ever. 
I think every school did that back in the day. We did not do that in, during my era. I do remember in grade school. Well, you didn't though, have, did you have day weekday uh, World mm-hmm. Series games though? Uh, even if they did, I'm sure it wouldn't have been allowed. But I do remember in grade school having TVs wheeled into the lunchroom so the teachers could watch the OJ verdict. Oh yeah, that, How, was. that was such a big deal. I remember having that happen too, Randy. Shout out Fairway Elementary School. Really, I, I'm trying to think of the last time that they had weekday World Series games. I think it had to be in the 70s. Hmm. You, you might have been watching playoff I was, games. I was watching playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I was watching wow. NLDS, uh, San yeah. Diego Padres right. versus the Cardinals. I remember watching that game in the lunchroom. All right, let's get to some take it or leave it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636 in honor of National Nachos Day. Mm. Take it or leave it. Hey. Pulled pork nachos are the best. Ooh. I'm going to leave that. Oh, go on. Uh, actually, I would prefer. You and I are both devotees of the blues nachos. Mm. I, I would go with the ground beef. I actually prefer the pulled pork nachos at Bush Stadium. Those than are the great. Blues nachos. Yeah. It's right past the team store behind home plate. Mm-hmm. It's all the way against the wall behind the truck that they usually have there, and you have to wait in the line. It is worth it. You get the pulled pork, the chips, obviously, and then you get barbecue sauce and cheese. Then you get a little banana peppers working there, some sour cream. It's great. Pulled pork nachos are, in fact, the superior nachos. I beg to differ. No, ground beef is better than pulled pork. All due respect to pulled pork, which I'm not going to define as bad because there's no such thing as a bad nacho. But yes, there I, is. They I, can get too soggy. Well, and they not, fall if you, apart. Not, if, not if you eat them fast enough. <laughs> I like the soggy ones. Unpopular oh, opinion, but oh. I, I love the ability to scoop that uh, seasoned ground beef up and then have it on my chip as I devour it. You you take all the ground beef nachos and leave the pulled pork ones for me. I have to text my family and tell them, is it national or international nacho? Uh, I think national. I was okay. just uh, fact-checking. I'm sure it's uh. a hashtag on Twitter today. Because that's... Yeah, national. Okay. national nacho I, I guarantee you that the most important thing going on in our country right now is that it's National Nacho Day. I've been craving nachos so badly, too. Good sheet pan nachos. Oh, yeah. Is there anything? Is there any better ground beef than ground beef at the ballpark? Because I, I swear that is the best ground beef that I ever have on Hot the nachos. Tea. I don't love ground beef. I, I don't like it either when I make it. I'm just not a very good cook. Now, when my mom, my girlfriend make it, it's fantastic, but I, I don't make it very good. So, Michelle, when you order a burger, is it a ground beef burger? Do you go turkey burger? Or do you go veggie burger? I could go either way. Okay. I prefer. I don't the, discriminate against burgers, Randy. Okay. I prefer the ground beef, but the rest of my family prefers non-ground beef. So, usually when we have them at home... Unless I'm doing something special for myself, it's turkey or veggie. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will not have a Silver Slugger award winner or Gold Glove winner next season. I will take that. Next season? Yeah. Next season. No Silver Slugger, no Gold Glove. Colton Wong, likely not with the team. I'm definitely saying no on Silver Slugger. Yachty's gone. Yachty. Tyler O'Neill. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to leave it because they're going to go back to the normal voting for the gold glove next yeah, year. And I don't metrics. Think yeah. Mm-hmm. This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it. Unless Mo unearths Pujols 2.0, the Cardinals will not win another title under DeWitt and his model. I'm going to leave that because 
when is Albert Pujols 2.0 coming along? I don't see that happening for any franchise. I agree. And also in 2013, they should have won the World Series without Albert Pujols. So they can win without him. They can. Or 2.0 of him is what I'm getting at. They need to upgrade their overall abilities. But no, it's not going to take... One dominant superstar. Getting one of the five best players in the history of the game to get you back to and win the World Series. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It. From the 314, Take It or Leave It, the Cardinals will finish third in the division next year if they make no moves. Who's ahead of them? Cubs, Reds? Yeah, and I there's going to be a lot of Cubs changes here. Mm-hmm. Well, let's wait and see what the Cubs look like before we make this call. By the way, the Reds are not going to have Trevor Bauer back. Yeah. So they're going to look different as well. I don't think the Brewers or Pirates are going to be very good. The state of the division might have a lot to do, too, with the Cardinals wanting or at least leaning into being more financially conservative because they think they might still have a shot based on their competition. Let's defer the answer on this until January 5th or so. Okay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Take it or leave it. It will be the worst Cardinals offseason in the last five years if they do not re-sign Wainwright and Molina. Five years. Yeah, I think I can go there. Because it will hurt. That's why. Yeah. It's going to be an emotional hit to Cardinal fans. And if you go back to the off-seasons, let's see, 2018, you got Goldie. 2017, you got Ozuna. Uh, 2016, you got... uh, Or 2017 was Fowler and Cecil, which we kind of felt okay about then. 18 was Ozuna, 19 was Goldie. So we've actually felt, I have, I've liked a lot of the moves that they've made without significant departures. So uh, I'm going to say that uh, this will be the the least enthralling offseason for Cardinal fans in the last five years. The lack of moves, I think, Mm -hmm. will make it less enthralling. But take it or leave it. By the time a decision is made on Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, it's going to hurt less for Cardinal fans because we've had so much time to process this and think about what life will be like without them. There's certainly going to be fans that are still bummed out, but this is not an Albert Pujols type scenario where up until he made the decision, people were convinced he was coming here. I think a lot of Cardinal fans have really started to embrace the reality of life without these two icons. I will take that. The Cardinals had another icon, one of the great general managers in the history of baseball, if not the greatest general manager in the history of baseball. Branch Rickey started the farm system, had Jackie Robinson cross the color barrier when he was the GM of the Dodgers. And Branch Rickey said one of his philosophies was it's better to get rid of a player a year too soon rather than a year too late. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the Cardinals are at that precipice with Molina and Wainwright, that you're playing with fire in terms of their ability to continue to perform at a reasonable level. Yachty has not played at a high level now for a couple of years. Wainwright obviously did, but when you're 39 years old, the likelihood is is that your abilities are going to deteriorate to the point where your performance is bad. Adam Wainwright has defied all the odds for the past few seasons, but father time is undefeated. It's going to happen at some point. You know who came up with Father Time is Undefeated? I was not aware of this. Who? Tell me. Michael Irvin. 
Really? Michael Irvin came up with that. Pretty good, huh? What a wise comment. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. As we roll on with character and who is the Cardinals' best bounce-back candidate for 2021? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's great to have you with us. Did we get a fighter yet? By the way, I said that we did get a fighter, so I wanted to make sure that uh, we had that taken care of. And we appreciate you texting in, as you do every morning, to participate in the fight. As the Cardinals prepare for this offseason, Michelle, it seems as if... Many of the players on the 2021 squad are going to be people that were on the 2020 edition. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those are either older or veteran, uh, older or younger veteran players. So we want to hear from you on the Air Comfort Service text line or the Rhino Shield mic drop. Who is, in your opinion, the Cardinals' best candidate to bounce back and be great in 2021? Anybody on the roster, who is your candidate to bounce back? Not be great, but be more uh, in tune with what they have been throughout the course of their career. Do you have one? I do. My candidate, Randy, for bounce back Cardinal in 2021 is going to be the guy that I picked to be the MVP of their team this season, and that's Paul DeYoung. Didn't perform up to expectations. He had the lowest slugging percentage of his career by over 100 points in 2020, Randy. But let's not forget that Paul DeYoung also had a battle with COVID. I was reading about it in the newest Cardinal magazine about the toll that that takes on people. And we don't know how much that impacted him from a physical standpoint. So I look for a full offseason of Paul DeYoung being healthy and hopefully getting back to where he was and where the Cardinals need him to be. Because if Paul DeYoung is a 30-plus home run a year guy for the team, that dramatically changes the look of your lineup. Good call. Really good call. My guy in his first year had, uh, his first full year, had an earned run average of 3.34. And then his second full year had an earned run average of 2.75, making 28 and then 33 starts. This year he had a 4.91 earned run average and just didn't do the things that he had done in the past. Only 40 innings this year. He only made the nine starts. He struck out 49 in his 40 innings. But Jack Flaherty is going to bounce back and be what we know he can be and what he has been so far in his career. There's my bounce back candidate for 2021. Great, great candidate. Great choice. And I think there are some other choices out there. One of the guys who I still think can get back to a representative level, and it would be a bounce back now from two bad years, but I still think a guy like Harrison Bader can be a 265, 275 hitter that doesn't hit for for a ton of power in terms of home runs, but is able to hit a lot of doubles for you and slug a little bit. And his peripheral numbers were actually okay. Mm -hmm. His OPS was 779, but his exit velocity was good. He hit the ball hard, barreled it up for him pretty well. I could see Bader's numbers bouncing back and being representative for a major league center fielder, league average in 2021. The Cardinals are certainly banking on that. John Moselak talking in his Zoom to the media about the improvements that he saw in Harrison Bader. And this is someone that they've really put a lot of stock in, that they have not given up on. And you can assume we'll be back and back in center field next season. And 
if they had moved on from a lot of other outfield pieces and Harrison Bader doesn't work out for them, that's going to be another question mark on this organization and on the front office. So they're they're probably banking a lot on Harrison Bader. Here's a good one from the 314, Carlos Martinez. Now, this would be a bounce back to the form that he displayed in 2017. Mm-hmm. But he certainly has the ability. It, we don't know if he has the mental and emotional capacity the health. to be that guy, the health. But the arm is there and the stuff is there. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I am not an insane person. Therefore, I do not expect a different result out of Carlos Martinez at this stage of the game. Yes, is he a candidate to bounce back? Of course, he is every year. We have the same conversation about him every year. And while I appreciate all the hard work that he did in the offseason to prepare himself to be a starter, I appreciate the passion he had and wanting to be a starter. I appreciate the Cardinals for rewarding him for that. I still got the same result. Regardless of the path that took us there, we got the same result. So if I'm the Cardinals, I am not placing any sort of expectations so on him. Do you believe it's impossible for him to bounce back? I don't think it's impossible, but I'm also not going to expect it or predicate my projections of any of my success around him. If I were in the Cardinals shoes and I could get out from under the contract, I would. Oh, so would I. But can you? What's what's his value? nearly nil. From the 314, Alex Reyes, finally healthy and with the potential of a thin pitching staff, I think he'll be called upon to start and succeed. I love that option. I think that Alex Reyes is going to be a big part of the 2021 Cardinals. I love that he got through the 2020 season healthy. I love that they used him in some big spots and some of his stuff that we saw was electric. I think it He's the opposite of Carlos Martinez, in my mind, Mm -hmm. heading into 2021, because the questions were kind of similar about the health aspect of this. With Alex Reyes, there were no expectations heading into 2020. It was, hey, this is a player with so much talent and so much potential, but can he stay healthy? And the fact that he's proven that he could stay healthy, shortened season, one season, small sample size. But I do have that hope for him heading into 2020. And Alex Reyes... Michelle was more of a grown-up at 21 than Carlos Martinez is near the age of 30. And someone texted in and said, don't forget that Carlos Martinez also had COVID. I understand. I I completely understand that he dealt with a lot of stuff this season. However, every year it's one thing or another. And I hope that 2021 he's dominant. I hope that. But I also am not going to write it in Sharpie or really depend on it in any way. A couple more texts from the 314. My bounce back candidate is Mike Schilt. I want to see him manage with the urgency he did in 2019, not relying on underperforming veterans and getting to young more rest. Obviously, all of the double headers mm-hmm. and all of the COVID issues caused Schilt to manage differently. I do believe that he managed with a level of urgency, but it was impossible to put guys in a position where they could play all of those double header games. Right. And as you've mentioned, with the young specifically, that took a lot out of a lot of guys. And he was one of them. But if he's back and healthy in 2020, 2021, then I, what year is it? <laughs> I, I'm with you on Schilt. And uh, then we have one other one. I hope Tyler O'Neill can be consistent. Maybe with the gold glove, he'll get more consistent at bats. That would be great. People want to see him get 500 at bats. It'd be interesting to see if he could stay healthy, be put in there all the time, if he could lay off the slider, hit right handed pitching, especially right handed. Uh, pitching with a wrinkle 
I would be intrigued to see what he's capable of. Here's what I think he is. I think he's Chris Chris Carter, the Chris Carter that played for the Brewers. I think he's, for those that remember, Rob Deere. I think he's a guy that, in a good year, hits 210, 215 for you, and hits 35, 40 home runs. Might even lead the league in home runs. That'd be great. But will not get a lot of hits for you. He might be a guy... Remember a couple of years ago when Jed Jerko had 30 home runs and 56 RBIs? That's what I could see with O'Neill, where he hits 35 home runs and drives in 60 or something like that. Can I give you one more? Yeah. How about this one from Lisa? I hope Mo and Gersh have a bounce back year. Success starts at the top, and they had a bad year. They did. No doubt about it. And when you lose a Rosarena, when you don't make the move to keep Ozuna, and your defense fails, and it was a miserable failure, you do need to have a bounce back year. Thanks for your text. We do appreciate them. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Blues booth, and Joey Vitale, our Blues analyst, will join us, and uh, we'll ask him vasectomy questions next <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Red Sox have brought back Alex Cora, who they parted ways with last offseason because he oversaw a cheating scandal. But they have no trouble with that, so they have brought him back as their manager. We head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. It's Carriker and Smallman, and our favorite guest of the week, Joey Vitale, joins us as he does every Friday. Happy National Nachos Day. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Jeez, uh, favorite guest. Do you tell every guest that, or is that just particular to me? I feel honored. This is you, and you should be honored because we have a lot of great guests during the course of the week, but you are numero uno. <laughs> Man, I, I like it. I like it. And on Nacho Day, how about that? How do you guys like your nachos? What, what do you put on your nachos? We've had a debate here. Michelle is a pulled pork devotee. I like mine with ground beef. Ground beef. You know what? I was a ground beef guy like you, Randy, but I took one trip to Memphis to, vi- to visit my brother back when I was in high school. He go- He went to Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Tennessee, and they go down there. I'm sure Michelle knows about it. They put pulled pork on it mm-hmm. with, like, uh, cheese and, like, jalapeno. I'm telling you, it, it is a game changer. I have to go on Michelle's side on this one. And, um, Joey, also the pulled pork nachos don't get as soggy as the ground beef nachos. Big time. Big time. You know, that, that's another big point because of because of the shreddedness. And it's not, they're not as greasy, I feel like. Yeah. That, that, that's one good thing I picked up in Memphis. The other thing that, that Memphis turned me on to coleslaw on your pulled pork sandwich oh, never yeah. ever in mm-hmm. a million years thought that was good but it adds a nice little texture crunch to it and, and kind of a little uh, tanginess i think that the kind of balances the bbq yeah memphis has done some good things fellas yeah they have it's <laughs> memphis hey the, the the barbecue in memphis is fantastic rendezvous yeah rendezvous, rendezvous still yeah. there well that's the one i went to it was great great, great. Um, okay, Joey, let's talk a little St. Louis Blues hockey. Jeremy Rutherford had a great piece in The Athletic about Colton Pareko and about him taking over in a leadership role after Alex Petrangelo moved on to Vegas. What's it like for somebody like Colton Pareko? I don't know if you've ever dealt with this on any team. He's had a longer tenure on the team, but he's younger than a lot of his teammates who have more experience maybe elsewhere. So what's it like to be the alpha in a group that might have older guys in it? You know, it's it's an interesting it's interesting for Colton because he started so young and you know he's, he plays so much and he's such a an elite young player, which is you know not not as common for the league. But certainly this situation, you know, I read that article as well. You know, there's there's speculation. I mean, there's there's thoughts that will Colton Pareko be the captain? Will will he take on a bigger leadership role 
now that Alex Petrangelo's up. I mean, certainly you're looking at the next franchise defenseman uh, for the St. Louis Blues. He's going to be around a long time. Uh, he's in as a lead of a defenseman and, and growing up. Uh, you're, I think he's going to be a Victor Hedman one day. Maybe not as much offensively, but he's going to be as prolific as a Victor Hedman. Give him another two, three years if he continues to grow in the way he's doing. So he's got leadership material written all over him. Uh, he's, he carries himself very well. He treats all the people around him terrifically. He's a great teammate. He's great to the media. He's terrific to fans. I mean, he's everything you want in a leader. Now, do you throw a letter on him next year? Do you throw a, a C on him in a couple of years? To me, I don't think so. I think that for Colton Pareko, for how young he still is and how much growth he still has, I uh, think, for example, just how much he can grow offensively. You know, there's so much more to be to be seen from Colton Pareko from the offensive side. Uh, there's growth on the power play. So his game still has a lot of growth to it. So the one thing I've seen a lot in the NHL is when you give a player like him a letter too soon, it kind of distracts him from the growth individually. So Colton should be focusing on uh, his growth as an, as an offensive player, his growth as a power play guy, his growth of a shooter, more of a shooter mentality. Now, if you throw a C on him and then he's got to start dealing with the media, then it's just maybe too much for a young player to handle. So I like the way that they're progressing Colton Fraco right now. Uh, definitely, I don't think he needs to have a C at this point, uh, and maybe not even an A at this point. But I can see definitely within two or three years, you can throw an A on his sweater, and then somewhere down the road, guys like Petranzo, like we saw with Petro, I think he will be the captain of this organization. Speaking of shooting, Joey, one thing that was mentioned in the article, too, was his slap shot. Do you think we might see an increase in those opportunities for him? You know, I think so, and I, and I hope so. You know, I think and that, that, that's a big thing for Colton because it's a big part of his game. You know, something that uh, from the growth standpoint of being more offensive that, that Colton can certainly work on is just getting his feet set to shoot more pucks. Uh, I had a great conversation with Larry Robinson. We were up in Toronto. This is two years ago, and, and we're talking. We're watching morning skate. We're in Toronto. A lot of hype, obviously, because it's a great city. And uh, Larry Robinson and Chris Kerber and I were talking about Colton Pareko as he was taking one-timers in the morning skate. And then Chris Kerber asked him, he said, you know, you know why, why can't he just shoot the puck more? What, what, you see it in practice. I mean, he's, it's scary how hard he shoots. And Larry Robinson made a great observation. He goes, sometimes in games, his feet aren't ready to shoot. Meaning when he gives the puck off and then he's waiting for it to come back, he's not, his feet aren't in a, in a, in a, like a shoulder-wide stance apart knees bent ready to one time the puck sometimes he'll give it and he'll get it back but his feet are like pointed at the net or his feet are pointed some other direction so something that Colton Pareko is certainly continuing to work on I noticed in his practice especially this past year where I think he shot way more pucks than two years ago is when he's in the offensive zone he's waiting for pucks but his feet and, and his legs are loaded for a one-timer that's something that he, he was not doing two three years ago so as he continues to do that I think that you're going to see him be more and more of a threat think of like a Shea Weber when Shea Weber's on the ice uh, and you're in your defensive zone, you're playing against them, you know you know Shea Weber's out there, and you're constantly keeping an eye on your puck, but you're also kind of like with that peripheral vision, you're looking, where's Weber, where's Weber, where's Weber, because you know at some point when he gets that puck, it's just it's just automatic. It's just going to be a shot, and I think that's what we got to see from Colton. Colton, I, I'd rather him just be more of a shot mentality kind of player where just every time he gets it, you know it's just going to be a shot like Shea Weber because it's such a powerful shot. Even if you miss the net, um, sometimes you're going to hit someone in the ankle. Sometimes you're gonna, it may redirect. Um, you're going to put the, the fear of God into the goaltender every time you shoot it as well. So I'd love to see him become more of a shot mentality because he has a very Shea Weber-like shot 
uh, to the point where I think a couple more years as he continues to grow, I think he's going to be the guy at the all-star competition, these hard shot competitions. Wow. Joey Vitale is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Joey, earlier today we had our feature that we do every Friday, Peak and Pit of the Week, and uh, one of our texters said that the peak of the week was having a week of vacation, but the pit of the week was getting a vasectomy during the vacation. <laughs> and we had multiple yeah. people text in with their vasectomy stories. I, I was telling the story about how when I had my consultation, I, I went in to the doctor's office, they described the procedure to me, and before I left the office, I had to go into the restroom and throw up because my <laughs> face was all sweaty and I was hot and flushed and everything. It, it had an effect on me. So we were just wanting to know if you have uh, any stories of guys that you know or people that have had issues with this very delicate procedure. <laughs> well, it's it's certainly a delicate procedure, guys. I know everything about vasectomies. I, I know. I tell you what. I know everything about reverse vasectomies because I've had both. Oh, I had really? a vasectomy. Yes, I had a vasectomy after my third baby, uh, Bodie. We had him in Arizona. My wife and I could have sworn we were done. So I got a vasectomy. I laid on the table. My doctor came in. He put me up on those stirrups, and, and he, <laughs> he, he turned on Metallica, and he was having a conversation with me. It was literally 20 minutes. There was a little bit of a burn sensation down there, but then within 20 minutes, I'm walking out, a couple ice packs, a couple Tylenol, and I was good to go. And so, so getting a vasectomy is actually rel- relatively painless, and it's a pretty straightforward procedure. No after effect. Everything was fine, you know. And then three years later, my wife and I are talking. We want to have more kids. Well, how do we go about doing this? And we looked at it in vitro, and how do I, you know, get my stuff to her stuff and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're like, well, we could get a reversal. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a pretty straightforward procedure. I mean, getting a vasectomy wasn't bad. So imagine the reversal. The reversal is a completely different animal, guys. I mean, think about it. You're taking the vast deference. These two like spaghetti noodles, they're like a spaghetti noodle, mm-hmm. and you're basically got to re you have to re-sew those back together. It's a, I mean, getting in there and cutting them is one thing, but putting them back together, guys. This was a six-hour procedure. Six-hour procedure. Yeah, get this. So I'm on the table. I'm on the table. <laughs> this is two years ago. Okay, two years ago, I'm on the table, and I'm kind of getting nervous, getting clammy. The nurse comes in, she's like, "Yeah, it's about a four to six hour." I'm like, "Oh my god!" So I'm starting to get really shaky and cold, <laughs> and all of a sudden, and this is the true story. The curtain opens up like sling, and it's my scrub nurse. And she's like, Joey. And I said, hi, how you doing? And she goes, my name is Donna. I'm going to be your scrub nurse today. I go, oh, hi, Donna. Nice to meet you. And she goes, you don't know me, do you? I go, no, should I? And she goes, my family is at St. Peter with your family. I'm in your parish. My kids go to school with your kids. And she's my scrub nurse. Wow. She's my scrub nurse. Donna McCarthy, I swear to God, it's happening. And I'm like, oh, my God. And my wife looks at me like, oh, my God. And so I'm, I'm telling her wife, like, she leaves. I'm like, Rena, this, 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 this parish mom's going to be looking at my, my hoo-ha for six straight hours. And she's like, are you okay with that? And I'm like, okay with that? I, I don't know how I feel about that. But long story short, um, yeah, this mom at our parish, who I see every day, I saw her drop off like two days ago. She uh, was holding my 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 kits and biddles for, for six hours as this doctor went to work. And you know what? Um, I tell people the story all the time. Like, isn't that awkward? You know what? It was awkward for like the first minute, but then I felt really good knowing that someone's like really taking good care of me because you want someone to really take good care of you, um, you know, in, in that kind of procedure. So long story short, I get the reversal a month later, get this guys a month later, my wife gets pregnant. Wow. Uh, it, it usually takes six months to a year, but listen to me. Hey, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I went in for my sample after a month. I got some swimmers. It worked out a month later. And a year later, I sent a picture to Donna McCarthy, my scrub nurse, who's at my parish. And we all have a good laugh about it. And I actually saw her at Christmas Mass, uh, I think, two years ago. Or excuse me, this is last year. 
and I say, hey, Donna, just just for the record, I don't know who you've talked to, but th- th- those surgery rooms, they're really cold. They're really they're freezing. There, you know what I mean? Like all this other kind of stuff. And, and, and of, course, of course, she comes back, and this is in church. This is in God's house. And she's like, you know, Joe, just so you know, we actually, when you, we, when you go into surgery, they pump through like heat into your body to keep the blood flowing really fast. So she's like, and she kind of winked at me. She's like, you're probably okay. I'm like, okay, just, just in case you talk to anyone in like a book club, a parish book club, or you guys ever, you know, a woman's wine night at, you know, the school, just so we know, you know, I felt cold, but uh, long story short, it worked out well. I got our fourth baby, little birdie. She's almost eight months old. So, so God bless the doctors and vasectomies and reverse vasectomies. And now I got to get snip, snap, snip, snap. Now I got to get re-snipped. So that, that's somewhere down the road, too. Joey, I have so many follow-ups here. I want I want to circle back, though, to the first procedure. Were you nervous when the doctor cranked Metallica to get going on the procedure? I mean, when he when I, when I heard, and tonight, I was like, whoa, this is like kind of, kind of nervous. But I'm like, maybe he's so relaxed, like. You know, this is kind of a good thing. But, yeah, he literally, like, so where are you from? I'm like, oh, St. Louis. I was like, oh, how many kids you got? And he's literally, like, snipping and burning and singeing. As he, I mean, it's a little nerve-wracking, but then, like, at the same time, you're like, well, we're having this great conversation. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of in passing, so maybe it's a pretty straightforward procedure. So I felt kind of good about it. And, and he did a great job. When you hear that song now, Joey, did the sensations come back? <laughs> you know what? A little bit. A little bit every time. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do, lean into the procedure. Randy probably knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So we had to waste like 20 minutes like, for nurses to do that. And that was, that was probably the most awkward part. So whatever the doctors tell you to prep before you go into surgery, just do it because it's a lot less awkward if you, if you do it right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Hey, we're so happy that uh, the reversal worked. I, I just, I, I'm going back to the spaghetti noodle and just think about that. Think about a spaghetti noodle that, in the bowl that comes apart. It's what the doctors do is phenomenal. Medicine is amazing. Oh my gosh, Randy, it, it really is. I mean, you think of a spaghetti noodle, you're right, but I'm not talking like a spaghetti, solid spaghetti noodle. It's a hollow it, it, it's hollow, so I think it's called a bucatini. You ever mm-hmm. see bucatini? Yeah, yes. Michelle, you probably know that. Love it's it. like it basically it's, it's, it's spaghetti with like a hole in the middle. So that's that's <laughs> what your vast deference is. So they so they so they, they cut it and then they got to repair it. They got to go back in there. They got to cut it and they got to find the samples. They got to make sure it's it, the you know the sperm's in there and all that good stuff. And then and then they have to basically sew the interior, like the hollow part, and then the exterior. So there's, there's actually two sewing. And this is a spaghetti noodle, folks. The, the goggles on this guy, he had like magnifying, like, like, like beer goggles. They were so thick just so he could actually see what's kind of going on. And, um, and to think you're right, medicine's amazing that they could redo that. I mean, birth, birth in general, uh, uh, God, it's, it's one of the most uh, amazing things in general. You think, about, you think about like all the sperm that goes in, um, you know, when, when it goes, you know, the, the uterus and then like the race, I mean, the journey, the journey to get to an egg. I mean, guys. I don't know the percentage, but it's like almost like impossible, like what they have to go through mm-hmm. in this like marathon of a race and all the, the hurdles and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the steel traps to get to the egg. And then eventually one makes it. I mean, eventually one makes it. And then uh, the blossom of life and how it all just kind of gets together and, and moving and in motion. And it's just it's, it's an incredible thing. And to think that doctors can kind of put that back together and and make this being, uh, you know, I had four kids. I had four kids, but I've never looked at a baby like I looked at my fourth because I knew what went into it and like the, the medicine and the doctors to perform, to make this happen. And then here's this like child, right? I've never, I've never felt, I never felt that presence of like, 
you know, you know, you know, people say like, you know, I met my daughter and like, this is where heaven and earth met. And I, I really felt that with my, with my fourth because of, because of all the complications and difficulties and, and this shouldn't have happened, but it did. Uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And, and uh, I can go, I can go on all day about uh, the reproductive system and, and different um, facts and factoids about uh, fertilization. I do on the, on the broadcast when the blues are getting their butts kicked every now and then. So if you ever listen to some games, you really get into it pretty deep. Joey V see conversations like this are why you're our favorite guest. See, you know, well, I, I have a reputation to uphold and I'm going to try to do that um, every week with you guys. So thank you. You're the King. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. All right, brother. That is the great Joey Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. Are you surprised at all that we heard what we heard for the last 10 minutes? Absolutely not, because whether it's nachos, St. Louis Blues hockey, or vasectomies, Joey Vitale brings it. Brings it every time. And I also, just before we wrap up, want to give another shout-out to Donna. Oh, yeah, strong. (laughs) And the the fact that they, as Joey said, we're in the house of God. (laughs) He's he's looking across the aisle, and Donna gives him a head nod. (laughs) We've got the fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.39 on this Friday. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And I believe, Scott, that Randy is undefeated so far for the week on the fight, right? Um, Randy has oh, no, one. We, ha- no. we had one winner. He lost the second day, right? I think that was last week, right? I can't keep I think track. Thursday and Friday, maybe. And then Dan was on Monday. So Dan didn't have an opportunity to get him to the Hall of Fame. But somebody took the fight Randy style yesterday. That was pretty incredible. That's right. Well, that was our friend Zach. And Zach was close, too, not getting the options. He was close. Well, let's bring in Randy's challenger today. Aaron is with us. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Michelle. Great show. Love listening to you guys. Thank you, Aaron. We appreciate you listening. How's your Friday going? Uh, so far, so good. And so I got picked for this. And now <laughs> kind of nervous taking on the walking encyclopedia Randy here. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Have confidence in yourself. But, yes, he I does mean, have gonna... a Britannica up in that noggin. Yes, he does. (laughs) Okay, Aaron, let's get rolling here. Question number one. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning rank number one, two, and three with the most passing touchdowns in NFL history. Who is fourth on that list? Is it Brett Favre, Dan Marino, or Aaron Rodgers? I'm going to go Dan Marino. Question number two for you, Aaron. Who was the last pitcher in the NL Central to win a Silver Slugger Award. Was it Adam Wainwright, Jake Arrieta, or Giovanni Gallardo? I'm going to go with Adam Wainwright. Uncle Charlie can rake. Question number three, Aaron. How many times has Notre Dame made an appearance in the college football playoffs? A little hint for you. This began in 2015. Is it one, two, or three? Uh, I'm going to have to say, actually, it's probably just been one time. 
Final question for you, Aaron. Other than Georgia, which SEC East football team was the last to represent the division in the SEC championship game? Was it Mizzou? Was it South Carolina? Or was it Florida? One more time, please. Other than Georgia and the SEC East, who was the last team to represent them in the SEC championship game? So SEC East teams, other than Georgia, the last time they were in the SEC championship game, is it Mizzou? South Carolina or Florida? I'm going to have to go with Florida. Okay. We are checking score here, and Randy is on his way in. Aaron, do you have anything fun on deck for the weekend? Uh, just not letting my pops down on this trivia because he's a sports uh, fanatic as well and a walking encyclopedia. Oh, what's your dad's name? Uh, Dean Mooney. Oh, well, shout out to your dad. Shout out to Dean. And Randy, please say good morning to Aaron. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? I'm outstanding, Randy. Great to be on your show. A big fan of uh, you and Michelle. Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate you participating today. It's pretty cool. It's cool to have you with us. Thanks. Okay, Randy, question number one. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning rank number one, two, and three with the most passing touchdowns in NFL history. Who is number four on that list? I'm guessing that it's Brett Favre. Question number two, Randy. Yes. Who is the last pitcher in the NL Central to win a Silver Slugger Award? Mm, um, I'm just, I, I'm going to go local. I know Wayno won one in the last few years, so I'm going to go with Adam Wainwright. Randy, how many times has Notre Dame made an appearance in the college football playoff? Hint for you, this began in 2015. 2015, they got drilled by Alabama one year. And then I think there might have been one more. So I'm going to go two for Notre Dame. And your final question, Randy, other than Georgia, which SEC East football team was the last to represent the division in the SEC championship game? Florida. Oh, buddy. Aaron, your dad is going to be pumped because Randy and Aaron have a tie. Both of you have gotten three questions correct. All right. So we are going to a tiebreaker question. Love it. Aaron, here is how this is going to work. I am going to read the question out loud. Randy is going to write his answer on a post-it. Then we are going to let you answer first. Whoever gets it correct or as closest to the pin wins. But we are going to put a time limit on to make sure that no one is Googling anything. So we're going to say, what, guys? Ten seconds, maybe? Okay. Outstanding. That'll work. Okay. Sounds good. All right, here is the tiebreaker question. Gentlemen, how many stolen bases did Lou Brock have in his career? Aaron, your final answer is? I'm going to go with this uh, 1,200. We've got... And Randy, you're going to go with? 938, please. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy (laughs) Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Randy held up his post-it so fast I almost forgot to let him answer on the air. <clears throat> Sorry, I Aaron. I the ball, just a little nervous, and I didn't really <laughs> have time to concentrate because I knew Randy 
Probably already had it up and already went and got a soda. Don't even worry about it, Aaron. It was a great fight. Let's give the answers. Question number one, it's Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and then Brett Favre. He is Brett Favre. He is number four on the list for most passing touchdowns in NFL history. The last pitcher in the National League Central to win a Silver Slugger Award was Adam Wainwright in 2017. Notre Dame has made one appearance in the college football playoff. That was back in 2019. They lost 20-3 to to Clemson. And other than Georgia, Florida is the SEC football team who last represented the division in the SEC championship game. That was in two or in, excuse me, in 2016. They lost 54 to 16 to Alabama. And as you heard Randy say, Lou Brock had 938 stolen bases in his career. Aaron, Hello. great fight. Thank you so much for playing. It was a total honor to even tie him because I know he's a wizard, and I greatly appreciate both of you, and I love the show, and I will continue to listen. Thanks again. We appreciate that very much. We appreciate you being a part of Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, and thanks for playing today. It was fun. Uh, by the way, the 636 text in, Air Comfort Service text, text line, says that uh, the tiebreaker was a layup. Well, you do know a lot of things about Cardinal history. I know a thing or two. (laughs) Next up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. It's Notre Dame and Clemson this weekend. And we're going to talk to Michelle's friend from Bristol and a guy that uh, you hear a lot of on ESPN Radio. Mike Golick Jr. is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN. It is Carricker and Smallman, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And Michelle always has stories for us about what happened at Bristol when she was there. And one of her favorites there was Mike Golick Jr., who joins us on 101 ESPN. Mike, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm terrified about what stories Michelle might have told you guys. (laughs) All good things, Mike. All good things. Don't you worry. Um, So, Mike, in the break here, we were practicing saying Ui Ungalale. (laughs) We are trying to get DJ Ui Ungalale's name correct because we want to show him the respect that he deserves. But is it safe to say that after this game this weekend, a lot of people are going to be pronouncing his name correctly? Yeah, I I think we're all getting a great education, Michelle, for what's going to come next year because – what, we're, what we saw already through one game when he had to step in against Boston College and threw for 350 yards and a comeback win was a star, like a guy who NFL scouts already rave about is maybe even a stronger arm than their current starter, Trevor Lawrence. So, yes, DJ Uyangalale is going to be a household name, and we are all getting a master's class in pronunciation now. <laughs> And there, there's no doubt when you go from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence with, by the way, uh, the, the quarterback that came here, Kelly Bryant, in between and with Ungalale on the way, Uwe Ungalale on the way, Dabo Sweeney's got it going at that position at Clemson, doesn't he? He does. I mean, it throws Todd Boyd in the mix as well on the yeah. back end, who only had basically every meaningful passing record at Clemson with some of the freak wide receivers like DeAndre Hopkins that we're seeing in the NFL. That lost Clemson offense is always going to have a place in my heart. But you're right, Dabo's, listen, Dabo's had to are darn near every position besides offensive line. It's been remarkable what Clemson has put together as a run, and it's an incredible challenge for Notre Dame this weekend. This is what you want. 
So, Mike, we had ESPN college football analyst Barrett Jones on the show yesterday, and we, of course, asked him about this game. And we're going to go a little last dance style on you here. We're actually going to play you the clip of what he said because we want to get your reaction to it. But when we asked him about the game, he picked Clemson, and here's why. I'm kind of in the camp that Notre Dame is criminally overrated every single year, and I think this year is no exception. So he finished out saying this year's no exception. He thinks that Notre Dame is massively overrated. But this seems like a good opportunity for a Notre Dame program that a lot of people might have some questions about if they can be uh, a football playoff team to answer some of those questions. And and I took that personally. If we're going to keep the last dance element up on this one right now, me laughing at my iPad. You know what? Like, And this has become the interesting part about this weekend, Michelle, is the conversation around Notre Dame ends up getting to a fever pitch like this with a lot of people on the outside of the program because they're scared. It's like the worst thing, the worst thing in the world. I've seen more from Clemson people breaking down Notre Dame strength, the schedule on the other side. But this is a game if you're Clemson, you should walk in expecting to win. And the amount of conversation around the other side tells me that the fear they don't talk about at parties is if Notre Dame comes in even with a backup quarterback in year one in the conference and beats your biggest and best, this place is going to lose their minds. So Notre Dame, people have said, well, this is a no-win situation for Notre Dame. Clemson can make the playoff even if they lose here. No, no, no. Notre Dame can't lose here in this situation because we either win and get to walk all over everybody or we lose and we're in the same place everyone else believes we are before, which is varying degrees of overreacting to the Notre Dame overrated thing. So I'm kicking my feet up and I'm excited about this one. <laughs> Mike, I, I, I look at Brian Kelly and he has adapted somewhat, but the template for Notre Dame is still there from when you were there, isn't it? Uh, he has adapted. And it's been different over the years. You know, when you had Deshaun Kaiser at the helm of that offense, they were more of a downfield passing out. But even the last couple of years, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, guys that are NFL receivers that were high picks were there. But this team has really gone back into on offense that offensive line, the foundation that was there when I was there. But I got to tell you guys the biggest difference, and we had Brian Kelly on our radio show this week, the speed Notre Dame has recruited on defense. You're going to watch a linebacker in Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo in number six and a safety in number 14, Kyle Hamilton, play at the same speed as everyone else on Clemson. And that was not something that used to happen on Notre Dame's defense. That is day one NFL speed on the second level and the third level of Notre Dame's defense. And that stuff was not always there when I was there, and it's really made it exciting to watch. So you could have Owosu Koromoa trying to get after the quarterback, Ua Ungalele. That's something for an analyst. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, that's why they call him Wu on one side, and they're going to call him DJ a lot on the other <laughs> side there after they get through the initial wave on the broadcast. Uh, Mike, you mentioned the college football playoff. Do you see a path for Notre Dame to get there if they lose this game versus Clemson? Yeah, the one thing people keep trying to do is write off Notre Dame if they lose here. They're likely going to run through the rest of their ACC schedule and would play Clemson in the title game. And if you got to that title game, beat a what we'd imagine a Trevor Lawrence-led Clemson team in that outfit, and your only other loss was to Clemson during the season, I don't know how you're not putting them in there at that point. So it might become overwhelmingly unlikely because Trevor Lawrence is a monster. But as far as there being a realistic path, it absolutely exists. And winning at North Carolina would be a big win, too. It is. And that North Carolina team, well, I get it. You know, the the upset to Florida State is going to hang in a lot of people's mind. But that is a really talented football team, especially offensively. So you're right. There are quality wins. And this is how it always was backloaded ACC schedule for Notre Dame that, listen, their schedule got easier when they joined this conference. There's no other way to look at it, but 
you're right. The two banner games are going to be on the back end. Mike, let's take a look at Florida, Georgia. We might not have the world's largest outdoor cocktail party because of the pandemic, but we're still going to get a great football game. So who do you like in that one? You know what? In this one, I actually think I like Georgia. Or excuse me, I think I like Florida in this one. And as much as Stetson Bennett is impressed in a way that I was not prepared when we had Jamie Newman and all these transfers going into Georgia, I never mentioned. Figured we'd get a Stetson Bennett the fourth running around barely five ten in that backfield with the defense they have. But we haven't seen him in a while, and so people might forget what Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts were doing in that Florida offense was jarring. It was every bit of what people expected and hoped when they were ranking them preseason five this offseason. And I just think they've got a different gear right now. Georgia's been looking for that next step offensively during the entire tenure in the last round and the quarterbacks that they've had. They're maybe starting to get to that point. Florida's already there, and I think that's the difference in this game and a real strength-on-strength matchup between their offense and Georgia, one of the best defenses in the country. All right, Golick, uh, give us a great Michelle Smallman in Bristol story. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not giving up the goods on that one, although I will say I was fortunate. Me and Michelle were both covering the Alabama-LSU game down in Baton Rouge, and we had the chance when we were out there at a local watering hole to hang out with famed Houston rapper Paul Wall, who just happened to be there for some reason. So we've got the pictures to prove it, but we have rubbed elbows with some Pretty known figures from our early 2000s childhood who probably ring a little less true now. But <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for keeping it clean. And I always tell people about that night that World Series champion and LSU guy Alex Bregman was also there, and no one even knew who he was. <laughs> it was remarkable, Michelle. It will never not be cringeworthy when the DJ shouted him out over the loudspeakers <laughs> and was met with roughly the same round of applause that I was. So. You can't take back those moments if you're Alex Bregman, but we will cherish them forever. We still are waiting for our grills in the mail, Paul. You promised us. <laughs> yeah, Mike, you know some people. Give them a call. Make sure we get those. <laughs> I'm on it, Smalls. We need this for the new year. Once we can go back out to places, we'll be grilled up and ready to go. That sounds great. Mike, we know you're busy. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You're the best. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having me. That's Mike Golick Jr. And tomorrow you've got Clemson, you've got Notre Dame, and, of course, uh, that game can be seen on NBC tomorrow. That's a game at Notre Dame. That's always when I talk to people about the popularity of baseball in America. That was always one of my my points. Hey, I was at a place where this guy went and he had just won a World Series and no one knew who he That's was. That's amazing. No one. So d- did you guys go talk to him? Yeah, well, we were standing on the stage mm-hmm. because uh, the DJ called Paul Wall up and then Mike mm-hmm. Golick Jr. And Alex Bregman was there. And Mike got this, Paul Wall naturally got a huge ovation. Mike got a huge ovation. And then people were like, who? Alex Bregman? And I'm like, he went here. That's amazing. He just won the World Series. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, we live in a baseball hotbed and the rest yeah. of the country, not so much. Coming up, should the Cardinals have a different approach in free agency? We'll talk about that as we roll on with Carriker and Smallman headed into the final hour of this show on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 905, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Character and Smallman. And Michelle Derrick Gould had an interesting comment on how the Cardinals view players with long-term contracts. He said they see it as a guarantee of lots of money and a lack of flexibility for years to come. The out years, as they call them. Whereas the shorter-term deals, if they don't work out, they can move on quicker. And we've talked before about how 
the Cardinals look historically at the back end of those seven, eight, nine, ten year deals, and a hundred percent of them have not worked out. They just have whether it's Alex Rodriguez with the uh-huh. ten year deal or Albert Pujols, and you've you've got the current ones, but we'll have to wait until the back ends of those work out. But the Cardinals, I think, with good reason, because they are at the end of the day running a business, are reticent to give those ten year deals. I would think after Albert Pujols chose to go to Anaheim and you could still field a team that was in the postseason every year that went to the World Series and should have won in his absence, that that was a big wake-up call because that contract that they were willing to give him, while they there were rumors that they were willing to go there with Giancarlo Stanton, maybe David Price at one point, mm-hmm. they said no to Max Scherzer. It seems like they're pretty judicious when they think about those big con- contracts, but looking at the way that not only Albert Pujols, Pujols has played out, but the other ones that they might have had their hands in, I would not want to go that way either, especially for a team that, whether fans want to hear this or not, is competitive every year, isn't tanking. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to be tied up long-term with one contract on a player that I know for at least a couple years on the back end of that is probably not going to be very productive for me. No, I, I like the Cardinal approach. They just need to come up with another superstar somehow. And what they did with Goldschmidt should be the template for what they do. And their goal, as we know, and it's the Dodgers' goal and the, the Red Sox try to do it this way, the Yankees now, when you look at their young core, you try to develop a young core and then supplement around them. The Yankees mm-hmm. did that when they acquired Giancarlo Stanton and when they signed Garrett Cole. The Cardinals have had mixed results with signing guys to signing their own players to long-term term contracts to buy out a some years of arbitration and B, hopefully for them, some years of free agency as well. They signed Stephen Piscotty to his deal and then they signed Fowler and moved Piscotty on. I would argue that the Wong and DeYoung contracts for the money they gave Mm -hmm. them have been pretty good. The original extension for Matt Carpenter was great. They got a couple of well, they got a fifth in the MVP year out of him and a ninth in the MVP out of year out of him. It was the second extension with Carpenter that has come back to bite them. And then they have had some that they made and they were able to get out from underneath, specifically the Alan Craig one, mm-hmm. which looked really good until he got hurt. But I have no problem, and I don't think the Cardinals do either, with buying out arbitration years. Another one that kind of half worked out is Carlos Martinez buy out some arbitration years into hopefully a couple of years of free agency and take that gamble because generally for the Cardinals, that gamble has worked. Is there a player out there that you think that they would be willing to go there for? In terms of making a deal and signing to a big deal? or yeah. Is there any I, player out there that you think that they would get past that uncomfortable point for? No. I don't think so either. We're talking $30 million a year. So a 10-year deal for $30 million a year? No, I don't see that player out there. That If the Cardinals get that star, they're either going to have to get that star through trade or they're going to have to develop somebody to become Randy Rosarena. <laughs> it always circles back to Randy, it doesn't sure it? It sure does. It always circles. So, so many of their problems would have been solved had he developed into what he was for Tampa this season, specifically the postseason here in St. Louis. My reasoning is this. In the best of times, the Cardinals are probably going to have a payroll in the 170 to 180 range. And philosophically, they believe it would be difficult to build a team 
of 24 guys for 140 or 150 million dollars. If you go out and get Mookie Betts at 35 million a year, okay, you, you've got that player who's great in right field. But what they want to do is build a team that has great depth because now you need essentially a 30 to a 35 man roster. And the Cardinals don't have the Dodgers or the Yankees payroll. Mm -hmm. They just don't choose to have that payroll. And so if the Dodgers add Mookie Betts, they can have a $30 million Clayton Kershaw. They can have uh, a very expensive Justin Turner making $20 million a year at third base. They can get have Seager making $10 million. They can have those other guys. If the Cardinals have that payroll, they're going to have to have a lot of guys that are making a million or two million rather than those other guys that are making seven, eight, nine million or ten. Do you think this circles back to what we talked to at the top of the show about doing a better job of targeting and signing international free agents? International free agents and then recognizing what you have Mm -hmm. because clearly that's an issue. And I would be concerned if I were the Cardinals with what happened with Rosa Arena that Adolis Garcia would turn into a player. Now, what are the odds of him becoming Randy? Not great. But he did spend time up with the Rangers, and the Rangers, by all accounts, really like him, and that's another guy that you moved. Mercado, a couple of years ago, he's not a power hitter. He's not what you need right now. But he had a pretty good year for Cleveland, although he was horrific in 2020. So, like John Mozeliak said, the Cardinals' job is to know their players better than anybody else. So when they get those guys in the organization, they need to know what they have. I'm also intrigued to see what happens with the offense this season and with the Jeff Albert approach after they brought him back and they're giving him another season because it's it's still, for me, the chicken or the egg. It's, yes, they were able to identify some of this talent and they certainly didn't keep them and they were able to be better other places. But is the talent that they have good enough? They're just not developing the way that they need to. Yeah, that's a problem. That, and once again, we we go back to Randy A. But there's a lot of guys that you can look around baseball. Luke Voigt, he he really, even though it was unreasonable to think that the Cardinals could have seen what was coming, nobody could have. But he also didn't get much of an opportunity here in a year where the Cardinals were spending a, a year thinking that they were going to get Paul Goldschmidt to play first base after the season. So you do have to do a better job with the guys that you have in-house. And by the way, I do believe that, again, getting back to better times, I don't think the Cardinals will do much because they don't know how much money they're going to take in for 2021. But we're talking about Jock Peterson for seven, eight, nine, ten million $10 million. That seems to be more palatable for the Cardinals than going $30 million on a player that they don't know. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right. We will find out what Michelle has for us in... You're killing me, Small. Randy, some breaking news out of Major League Baseball. The Boston Red Sox have hired a manager. They have. I, I know they wanted to give somebody new an opportunity, so I, I'm sure that's exactly what they did. No, 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 Randy. They went back to Alex Cora, who, you know, mutually parted ways with the club amid the sign-stealing scandal. They're all about the second chance or the third chance in Boston. I wonder, Michelle, if Alex Cora will be as good a manager when he doesn't have 
David Price or a healthy Chris Sale or mm-hmm. Craig Kimbrell in his prime or Mookie Betts. I wonder if his managerial effectiveness will equal what it was in 2018 when they won the world championship. I think there's one way they can do it. What? Cheat. Yeah. I kind of was thinking that too. Maybe if they could alert who was ever in the box mm-hmm. of what pitch might be coming. <laughs> yep. So, you know what? I- I'm I'm okay with these guys getting second chances. But at the same time, they're basically being Hinch and Cora mm-hmm. are being rewarded for cheating. They they virtually had to pay no price at all. You just got some time off. Yeah. Back in the game. 60 games. You, yeah, on a shortened season. You're back in the game, back making very good money and seemingly absolved from what mm-hmm. you did. But I kind of look at it from the stance of, why should they continue to be punished when the players who executed yep. this have still faced zero retribution? Right. And I, we, we look at the Jeff Luno interview from a couple of weeks ago. He probably hurt himself by talking. I they, agree. They probably, sh- his advisors should have told him, just stay quiet. Do you think he has advisors or do you think he just does what he wants? He's got to have somebody that he talks to. Because I can't imagine that anybody in his circle would say, yeah, go on a local TV station and talk about a binder that you put together to defend your innocence. Yeah, wasn't a great move. Somebody in his circle, in his orbit, should have said, hey, just shut up and wait till the next opportunity comes along. Because there will be one, whether it's in baseball or with another sports team or something, as he spoke about in the interview, he'll get another job at some point. But if I was a prospective employer and I could see that he still, you know, was a dog with a bone with this and defending his innocence. okay, great. But you're still not acknowledging that you're somehow involved in this. I don't really know to what degree he knew. But then I have other questions. Why didn't you know? You're supposed to be the person that knows everything that's going on in this organization. People answered to you. So by you defending your innocence, you're still not answering why you didn't know if you didn't know. Right. Speaking of dog in the bone, did you know that when the Cardinals hired him, they hired him away from PetStore.com? I remember that. Because PetStore.com. I wonder, you may know this. How did he even get on that path to go from PetStore.com to Major League Baseball? Probably sent an email. I don't know. But remember, Gersh sent an email to Mo. And he wasn't in the baseball industry, and Gersh, or Mo liked what he saw and hired him. A lot of people are getting hired that way in baseball. The analytics people that are really smart, they just get in touch with somebody and say, hey, I'm really smart. So to all you people out there listening who have always wanted to get into sports, find some email addresses. Right. That's Fire it. off some emails. And what Gersh said is that he used... Every combination, like he used John Dot Mosaic or J Mosaic or Mosaic J or whatever, he used all the different ones, and one of them was right. I wonder which one was right. I mean, I don't want to reveal his email address, but I wonder which combination. How many times did he have to go through? Was it the third time? Was it the fifteenth time? How how many combinations did he have to go through until he found it? I would say that probably within five. Yeah, it's probably not that difficult to figure out. For me, it'd be within two. For your email address? Just for logically taking the approach, okay, I'm going to guess what a company's email address combination would be. For me, it'd be in the first two. (laughs) 
Or you could probably Google it and find it. Probably, When yeah. I was a producer, I would do that a lot. Yeah, I would Google, smart. you know, Kevin Ibach, Tampa Bay Rays, email address. And a lot of times it comes up. Sometimes it's on the, the team website. Yeah. I wonder if you even tried that first. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Randy, another manager back in baseball is obviously Tony La Russa, back with the Chicago White Sox. And when Tony was hired, one of the main conversation points about him was how is he going to adapt to this young, fun team? How is a tried-and-true baseball guy like Tony La Russa going to adapt to guys like Tim Anderson? Well, Tim Anderson was talking last night about Tony La Russa, and he had this to say. He said, quote, There's been a lot of news saying that we might not get along. Hopefully we can get along and can continue to do what the ultimate goal is to try and win a championship on the south side. I'm just ready to pick his brain and learn the knowledge. Just try and have fun with it if he allows that. So far, so good, right? Mm-hmm. How about this? I won't change my style the way I play for Tony, Anderson said laughing. This is from ESPN.com. That won't happen. I will continue to be me. I always have and I always will be. We'll see what happens, I guess, if I do a bat flip. And Tony... If the bat flip takes place within the passion of the game, he doesn't want to see a bat flip when you're down 12 to 2. But if Tim Anderson hits a game-winning home run and bat flips like he has, Tony's not going to have any problem with that at all. They'll get along fine. As he said, Tony, in his press conference when he was hired, if he can tell it's genuine and in the moment, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a problem for him. Uh, By the way, Anderson said this when he was announced as a Silver Slugger Award winner. He was doing a post game. Um, And I saw a tweet that he says he's still looking forward to talking to Tony. So I'm sure Tony probably wants to connect with him soon, especially after these comments. But I just thought that was an interesting stance to take. I appreciate him for wanting to genuinely be himself and continue Mm -hmm. to play the way that he does. But he's... pretty publicly drew a line in the sand saying, I know the way that you might want me to play the game, but I'm not going to comply. Well, he'll he'll play the game, but it's just a matter of if he plays the game the right way, Tony doesn't, won't be bothered by the ancillary stuff if he's doing it in a winning environment. He, he, Tony can handle that. He, he handled Eckersley you know, shooting the gun at people that he struck out. And he can handle a fun guy as long as the guy is playing the game the right way. And I think Anderson will. Anderson's a good player. He is. And here was his last quote about Tony La Russa. He says, I'm going to ask him, how much have you been reading? You know, a lot of people have been saying we're not going to get along. So I'm going to ask him, why do you think that is? He says, I'm excited about it. Hopefully we can turn this negative around into a positive. Keep moving. Keep enjoying the game. Keep having fun with it. You can get sidetracked with what the ultimate goal is. And that's where I think both of them are like-minded. They know what the Mm -hmm. ultimate goal is. Regardless of style or flair or dramatics, they both ultimately know what the final end goal is. That's the bottom line. That's always the bottom line for Tony. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, the NFL has fined the Raiders $500,000 and their head coach, John Gruden, $150,000 in the wake of what the NFL has described as repeat offenses against their COVID-19 protocols this season. They're also stripping the team of a 2021 sixth-round draft pick following um, Trent Brown. He violated very aspects of the COVID-19 guidelines and the Raiders in some hot water for not listening to the NFL. Well, Michelle, as you know, the NFL is a league of rules. Yes. And they abide by those rules and they stick with them to the letter of their guidelines. So it doesn't surprise me at all (laughs) that a team would not abide by the rules and then be punished because 
hey, do as I say and as I do. And obviously everything we've ever seen from the NFL is that they set guidelines and then they abide by them. Yeah, of course. They're, they have integrity that way. <laughs> Can't even get that one out. So, uh, first of all, Five hundred grand is nothing. A six-round draft choice is nothing. One hundred fifty grand for, for Gruden. Gruden. He's making ten million a year. Yeah, no way. Big deal. So don't worry about COVID. You've already had it. Just move on. And I wonder. I feel bad for Trent Brown. I I would think that somebody should be fined for giving him an IV where air got into his bloodstream. Shouldn't that be fineable more than violating COVID protocols? I wonder what he's going to have to say about this. Yeah. So and by the way. He's like 360 pounds. He's he's a guy that when we, we talk about underlying conditions to have COVID be really bad for you, he seems to have all of them. He's 360 pounds is generally going to be obese, right? Even if you're athletic and in good yeah, shape. I think so. And I don't I don't know if he's in that great of shape. <laughs> a lot of those guys are, though. They might, you might not think it, but they sneaky. are. Sneaky. Sneaky athletic, Randy. Sneaky athletic. Oh, that's a good question. Is it possible to be 360 pounds and in great shape? I would say yes. I'm going to say no. Well, what's your determining factors for being in great shape? He's a professional athlete. Look at his shape. <laughs> <laughs> he is a professional athlete, but... Look at Pablo Sandoval. Original Pablo. Yeah, 285. There's a big difference between 285 and 360. Right, but I'm saying you can have a body type that might not look a certain way. From my just looking at it with my eyes, I might not determine that you're a great athlete, but the stats say otherwise. I would, I think if we go to the U.S. government guidelines, even if somebody's seven feet tall and 360, I'll bet they're considered obese. We'll check that out. Okay, well, we're on it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. And thank you, Michelle. That was great. You're welcome, Randy. Uh, do we have faith in the Cardinals picking the right player to improve themselves in 2021? Or have we lost that faith? Have they lost the benefit of the doubt in evaluating talent? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Cardinals here because I am on record as saying I think the Cardinals are going to punt 2021. I don't I don't think that we should even really concern ourselves with the Cardinals going out and finding players to help them contend for a world championship in 2021. I don't think that player is out there, A, and I don't believe that the Cardinals are going to be willing to spend. Maybe that should be A, but I, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a player or two out there that you say, okay, that puts the Cardinals in the same ballpark as the Dodgers. No, I don't. I don't think they're going to be able. Well, they. I don't think they're going to be willing to acquire the pieces needed to put them in that same conversation. But I also think punting, if you are the Cardinals, is a relative term because they're not tanking, and I think they're looking around at their talent and what was a really strange season for them in 2020, and hoping that in a normal-ish 2021, whatever that looks like, that they will see more production out of them and that players will take another step. And I think they're looking around at the division and saying, even if you take Colton Wong, Adam Wainwright, and Yadier Molina off this team, we still think we have enough to contend for the division. And as we know, get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And while that's not the approach that you or I or other members of the fan base would like them to take, I think in a in an offseason where they're going to be very financially conservative and be super intentional about the things that they do and 
an offseason where they're facing the fact that they didn't have any f- ticket revenue this past season and they lost hundreds of millions of dollars. I think maybe they're punting, but that punting doesn't look as bad here in St. Louis as it does a lot of other places. All right, let's get to now the important news of the day. Uh, we've moved on from vasectomies. We're talking about <laughs> Trent Brown, who's 6'8 and 380 pounds and has covid for the Raiders. And obviously, as we've heard over the course of the last eight months, obesity is one of the factors. That's one of the underlying conditions for having real issues with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. He's 6'8 and 380 pounds. According to the CDC, at 6'8 and 380, you have a BMI of 41.7. A BMI of 30 and above is considered obese. He's at 41.7. So he's considered dramatically obese. And the question is, and we appreciate your texts, 65780, can you be 6'8 and 380 and be in good shape, good condition? He doesn't look fat. No. We get a text from a listener who points out, says, I'm 355 and work out every day and run almost every day. Ran an 845 mile the other day. So, That person is clearly in good shape and good condition in terms of being able to run and work out. But is that is six, eight and three eighty safe for a guy like Trent Brown? So the question is, can you be obese and in good shape? That's the question. And I would say yes. He's a professional athlete. This is somebody that works out for a living. He conditions and trains his body for a living. And with that training probably comes a lot of eating to be able to have that weight and be able to throw it around for his job. But I don't know if that if the weight necessarily diminishes your athletic skill set. And there might be a difference between being in good condition and being in safe condition. Because we saw Corey Stringer about the same size who died of heat stroke on a football field. And we've seen other big people that have passed away prematurely because of, in part, their size and their girth. There's a guy like Shaq, 7'2 and 325, who, when he was playing, man, when he played for Orlando, he looked svelte, but he was 7'2. This guy is 6'8". I, I just I wonder if 380 is a, a reasonable neighborhood to be in from a safety perspective. So this coming from the 636 professional bodybuilders on those scales are morbidly obese. According to BMI, it's a horrible measure of physical fitness. OK, that's I, I can buy that. I could buy that, too, because you see a guy like him. I would think that Orlando Orlando Pace played at six, seven and three ten. I'll bet if we do that. Uh, calculation What's, for Orlando. They would say that he's obese and there's he, he could have been a power forward in right, the NBA. Right. So, uh, what about Aaron Donald? Somebody texts text in. I wonder where he would fall in on that range. And he's about 6'2", uh, So let me check here for Aaron Donald. 6'2", and 285. I'll tell you what his BMI is in one second. Here we go. Boom. Calculate. Uh, he has a BMI of 36.6, so he would be considered obese. There you go. And that guy does not look no. obese to me. No. So I guess yeah, the CDC BMI measure is probably something to not take into account. So you can be an athlete and be obese. Clearly. there. Are, I would guess that most NFL linemen would be considered obese by this scale. 
I still don't think that six eight and three eighty is probably where you want to be, though. That's all I'm, all I'm saying. He could probably afford to drop a few biscuits. <laughs> How many pounds is in a biscuit? For him, ten, because <laughs> he has a, the basket of biscuits. <laughs> I've never heard that. Drop a few biscuits. I love that. Well, he's a biscuit away from three ninety, is what they're saying. <laughs> it's one on one ESPN. <laughs> Great to have you with us. Coming up, we've got the the crossover with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour. We're going to cross things over with him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac getting ready for Scoops with Danny Mac. What are the, uh, we, we were just talking about the NHL and the Tokyo Olympics. And the NHL having their games on NBC. Right. So they can't go too far. They would have to end their season when they normally do, right? The the NHL would if they're going to be able to televise all of their games. That's the way I look at it. I mean, your postseason would at least be then. Now, I guess you could negotiate something differently. I'm not sure NBC would want to do that. But, you know, you come down to where the money is really made. It's with your television contracts and your... Mm-hmm. Uh, in your local TV deals. So, yeah, they're going to be up against it for sure. The Olympics start on July 23rd. So the NHL would probably have to finish when they mid-July. usually do. Mid-Jul- or Early uh, July, maybe. Yeah, but I, I would think... I'm that, trying to buy as much time as I can. Yeah, but the other thing is with NBC, and I'm sure their array of networks, they're going to have things like swimming championships and gymnastics championships, stuff that's already baked into their schedule as they prepare for the Olympics that start on July 23rd. Yeah, I don't I don't have an answer for that. I I would just say that when you're looking at these sports I would imagine hockey is up against it. The NBA is finding out they're up against it. Now they're going to come back before Christmas because of the television money. Um you got to wonder, you know, at some point we're going to have to get some kind of answer or direction for Major League Baseball on a designated hitter or what do we leaning towards for a season now i get it it's tough to say because we just don't know but you're just trying all these sports you're just trying to buy time it was like we were talking about with college basketball yesterday you know can you buy more time i mean some of these teams are going to be starting up in what's today november the 6th so 20 days you got bas- college basketball yeah. going on in the height of what is the what second wave of, of covid hitting which is exploding around the country so you know what if you got through December, January, and you started in February. Probably could be done, truncated season, but get the NCAA tournament in, which is what you want if you're right. college basketball and the NCAA. Especially after you missed one. Yeah. Yes. Big money. Big, 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 big money. Doesn't that seem like forever ago? <laughs> yeah. NCAA, when the NCAA tournament should have been? It's March 12th is when sports essentially shut down yeah. and that seems like a decade ago it, it really it really does I, I i can't imagine how they're going to get some of this stuff in but they're going to have to yeah. espn reporting that the nhl's minimum number of games would be 48 and they've done that before yeah strike season strike seasons, lockout lockout seasons. yeah so th- they could pull that off but the key is going to be getting it started by probably mid-january and some teams have voluntary workouts players skating anyway right now but I, I would think that... Are any teams doing that, though? Several teams are. That, uh, that's according to Greg Wyshynski. I, I would say, um, if I'm a player, like, you know, 
I'm sure in a normal season, you're you're like, okay, I'm two months out. I got to be in this kind of shape. I'm one month out. I got to be in this mm-hmm. two weeks out. Now I'm I'm amping it up. Like that's hard from a player's perspective because I don't think you want to max it out, and all of a sudden you're not sure when you're going to play. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you're trying to maximize your body as as yeah. much as you can. Just, just try to stay in shape. That's exactly. the key, right? Yeah. But I figure if if they would play 16 games a month, which is one, more than one every other day, you go from mid-January to mid-February, mid-February to mid-March, mid-March to mid-April, that's normally where they start the playoffs anyway. So I would think that at the very latest, you're talking that third week of January to get started for an NHL season. And you'd have a ton of games. Be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it'd be condensed. You know, those I went through those lockout seasons working for the Blues, and they were fun. I mean, I don't know if it was fun for a player. It's a playoff schedule every it really for is. the whole season. Um, I was listening to Joey Vitale the other night, and I guess it might have been on a show, and he was saying players really don't want to practice so if you if you you know mm-hmm. as much as it's tough physically on a player to play these games and to play in three in five nights or trying to get four games a weekend whatever he said you know players will do it because they'd probably rather do that than practice anyway and let's just play and and you know what the other thing is some of these teams have not played what will be basically a year mm-hmm. think about that yeah that's the amazing rust on some of those players I mean, that's going to be a storyline for sure. I mentioned trying to be conditioned for that. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Dan, today is National Nacho Day. Happy mm-hmm. National Nacho Thank Day you. to I you. Enjoy great nacho. Michelle <laughs> is a devotee of the What's a devotee? Port. Somebody who's devoted to. Okay. All right, just making sure. I, yeah. I could probably figure it out, but uh, you don't Thank you. You got me here. I'm here to help you out. Thank you. You're uh, very smart and I'm not. I lean towards the ground beef nacho. Do you me have too. a preference? Ground beef um Definitely have to have sour cream. Mm-hmm. I'm not a jalapeno pepper guy, which I know a lot of people are. I'm I just, not either. I'm really not a like a spicy food guy because I start getting the sweats going, and it's just an <laughs> ugly situation at the table. Yeah, I don't like to sweat in my food. I yeah. just it's just bad. I understand. Um, and so I will put the sour cream. Uh, if you got some kind of little goofy sauce, there's just some sauce I kind of like on it, but not, not a lot. Definitely sour cream and then the ground beef. But I do like a pulled pork on there, too. Oh, yeah. Load it up, baby. Yeah. I saw my kid one time, and I could kill. If he's listening right now, I I still want to kill you, and I love you. He's one of my best friends in the world. So they were playing Little League Baseball, and we would always take our kids out for, like, a pizza afterwards or go get some ice cream. You know, we just try to make it fun. So he calls me up. He says, hey, you know, can I take Luke out to go – you know, go get something to eat. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and they're probably eight years old. So at the particular restaurant, there was a thing of peppers. You know, some of those places have peppers. Mm-hmm. And he says to the kids, have you guys ever had a pepper? And my son said, well, no, I don't think I really have. Had. You ought to try one. And they did like a bet. And he's a fun guy. He said, mm-hmm. you know, you got to bet this thing. So my son, trying to be the tough guy, has mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. comes home, and the minute the door just goes like that and closes. Oh, it starts crying. I call up my buddy. I said, what in the hell have you done to my son? He's like, well, I had a little pepper contest. I said, a pepper contest? What are you doing? So we look for milk. He's 
I looked on the internet. What do you do to get rid of the pepper heat flashes? Oh, drink milk. Okay, so he's pounding milk. It made it worse. Oh, no. It was the worst night of his life because of those peppers. Now he won't eat a pepper. <laughs> what kind of peppers were they? Do you remember? I, I think just like the jalapeno that those they put. Get, those seeds, if you get a jalapeno oh, yeah. seed, yeah. that's what He may it. have had that, Michelle. Ooh. That one may have gotten, you know, just fixated in the throat or the stomach <laughs> or something. It was... Yeah. But we laugh about it now. Yeah, but I'm, he will not eat a pepper. I, when I order nachos from an establishment, I order them without jalapenos. I like banana peppers on my nachos. They aren't as hot, are they? No. Not a lot of people do that. I miss the old ballpark hot dog, and I miss the old ballpark nachos. Oh, That's Michelle's too. nachos. Yeah. Right behind Home Plate, right by, past the team store, they have the yeah. pulled pork nacho stand. Love it. It is not a game unless I, I get some pulled pork nachos. Look, in my line of work, Michelle, it's... Not an easy place to go to eat because no, it's, it's too good. Like no. like where we are, we have behind us. We've got the the Chinese mm-hmm. place. So sometimes, if you want some Chinese food, you go there. You go down there. You can get the baked oven pizza. Then you got all the anywhere you go. You got the hot dogs. You got the nachos. So sometimes you get there and you're just like, okay, I don't have time. Just I'm going to get something. Got a lot of variety, but none of it's any good for your diet. Section one thirty five down the first baseline. They have the home plate tater tot nachos, oh. which mm-hmm. are to die for. Those are and the box when you get them, it weighs like five pounds. <laughs> it's fantastic. I've never had those. Patrick I need those. can eat a whole bo- a whole package. I can a, see a Patrick knocking plate. those down. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. very impressive. As a matter of fact, when we went to the Winter Classic. That was the thing my kids were looking forward to the most. It wasn't the fact that the Blues were playing in the Winter Classic or that they were playing the Blackhawks or the, that we were at a hockey game. In June. On January, January 1st, we get to have these home plate <laughs> nachos. So question about those. Do you eat them with a fork, though? You can. At the end. You can yeah. scrape okay. it up. You, you nailed you it, yeah. You can't leave anything. No Randy, man. we're veterans of this stuff. Yeah. You can't leave that sitting there. No man left you behind. Can't. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm able to return the box perfectly clean. <laughs> right. Oh, I do like some beans on it, too. Oh, I like That's what sheet I to pan nachos, so they're laid out. Yes. They're not piled up. You get a little shredded cheese on there, some beans, beans a little pulled pork, yeah. some pico de gallo. I'm with Dan, sour cream yeah. in there, maybe some cilantro, a little drizzle of some hot sauce. Boom, you're great. Are you yeah. going to be able to maintain your 75 hard here There's with all no those way. nachos? There's no way. I don't that know. How the, I'm you guys do it. did a bad job of timing with that. With the yeah, uh, did. Thanksgiving's coming up. We didn't know holidays. about it though early enough. That was our problem. If we would have known about it in June, we would have breezed through. Yeah, June She's breezing through anyway. No, well, I'm not. I'm struggling. I'm proud of you guys. I really Thanks. am, Scotty. I'm, I was proud of your two day <laughs> trek through it. There's a hell of a two days you put together. Twenty seven for me. Twenty. That's nicely done. That's a month. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a month in my book. Nicely yeah. done, Randall. So, and I might try it again when the weather's better. Why? Well, the weather's pretty good, that's Randy. Terrible. I know, but I mean, <laughs> I I know that in November and December it's not going to be great. It's per, it is November and it's really nice out. I know. You, you might want to look in the mirror on a, this one. I guess it was October when it was pouring rain and thirty-five degrees. It was one day, Randy. One it was day. Two days, and I nailed one of the days, but the second day, I can't do it. You guys I'm, got a big weekend coming up or what? I got nothing. Get, get out and... Uh, I'm going to get out. Okay. I'm going to get out. And I, I'm still riding my bike every day. I rode my bike yesterday at Creve Court Park. I All ride, right. Ride it every day. Okay. So I'm doing that. Maybe play a little golf, get outside. I like being outside. I do too. I do too. I do too. Let's just... Uh Let's just get back to some normalcy. Yeah. That's en- all I want. Enjoy your I'm not national. For much. No, uh, just a little normalcy. It's right. Not, uh, enjoy your national nacho day. What Thank do we you. get coming up on scoops? Uh, there's a lot of high school stuff going on. So something that you know we don't touch a lot about that. You know how Missouri has handled everything. 
So some, I find it fascinating. Some of the teams have been playing. Some teams have not. Some teams just came back. They're in the playoffs of football. Uh, a lot of the championships are going on this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the teams that have been eliminated, they're still playing because they got to get tape for kids. Yeah. So they're, they've been eliminated from the playoffs, but they're finding, okay, you're out, I'm out, yep, let's play. And they're trying to do that for these kids. So get into some of the high school stuff. So if you're a parent out there, I think you'll find that interesting. And we'll dive into uh, some of the baseball news as well. Looking forward to that. All right, guys. Thanks. Scotty Manziera, our producer engineer. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Randy. Have a good weekend, man. You too. Michelle, you have a great weekend as well. Thank you. You too, Randy. Nachos tonight? No. Good for you. Proud of you. <laughs> That's you. Michelle. And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the I'll show. I'll have a nacho for... Yeah, I will too. Michelle. Thanks, guys. I will or too. Or 50. Oh. Sounds really good. You guys <laughs> got me hungry for those. I'm, I'm doing nachos on the Traeger. Are you really? Yeah. I got the recipe. Be you know where I live. Awesome. Yeah, I'll find you. All right. Uh, Sounds good to me. For all of us until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. When it comes to sports, you can't beat live. Vivid Seats has tickets to all of your favorite teams at great prices and all with a 100% buyer guarantee. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app and use 10 sports for $10 off your first $100 purchase. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.